welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast that cooks its beans in its own separate pot. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher, and this is my witty introduction to part two of Token Sheens. I'm Mike Bloom, and this is also my witty introduction to part two of Token Sheens. Uh, I'm Paul Oslison, and this is my wittier, uh, the wittiest um, contribution to the intro of this podcast to Survivor Token Sheens, which I cannot whoa, wait whoa, to whoa, talk Paul, about. Whoa, 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 Paul. Scale it back a bit. That's a little too witty for us. <laughs> Sorry, this season just has so much good inspiration here. <laughs> as you can hear, thank you for joining us as we continue to phone in our continuing coverage of Survivor Token Cheens. Cheens. I've been yelled at many times to always say cheens, so I apologize if I t- say teens at any point. All right, so where last we spoke to you, I believe what happened is we had just lost Sandy, who is a fairly big, interesting character. So that should lead us right into the stretch of not losing big, interesting characters. You know, I was like thinking about it. I was thinking about the stretch of episodes we're going to cover too, and hopefully in this podcast we get to uh, our first jury boot. And you think about those first eight people to leave the game. Like Sandy is really the only one that like actually brought something significant to the show, and the rest of them like not so much. So it's kind of brutal that you go eight episodes without like a huge character going and really seeing the impact of that person going on the game. And I think that's part of the fatigue or reason for the reason we have this fatigue going into it is that it doesn't matter who goes home in these next like four episodes. Okay, maybe by the fourth episode there is a shift in. in what's happening in the game but we're gonna go this huge stretch with nothing really changing in the game just kind of so-so characters going out one by one by one by one i don't know i'm pretty sure jerry brought dysentery to the show if that helps yeah he did bring that he did bring something but for the most part it's pretty brutal it's it's tough to talk about because we have covered many 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 seasons of survivor up to this point we've talked for a lot of hours on survivor and I think that something we talk about is is that you know even when we hit seasons that that perhaps other people liked that maybe some of us didn't like you know, Micronesia comes to mind. I mean Micronesia, if you remember though, was the longest podcast season we've had, and it's not because we're windbags. We are, but you know the thing about Survivor is is that we we sometimes agree with it, we disagree with it, but I think that it was, for a lot of it, it never got super boring. You know, there were slight boring stretches during certain things. Like, and I would even say that for as compelling as the human element as it was, when you got to like that final four and even the final three ish sort of bits of Survivor Australia, where like they're basically just dead on their feet, you know, it, it, you know, they even said themselves, like, all they can do is like get up and watch the fire and then go to sleep. And it's like, you know, Survivor was controversial or we don't like it, or we are mad at it for some reason, or we love this certain section, or we can see the redeeming qualities. But I got to tell you, this this stretch of token sheens is just, it just is. Yeah. You know, like, like it's, it's, not, it's, it's not like I'm sitting here going, it's a bad season of Survivor. I wouldn't say that. But try to tell me why it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's funny you brought up staring into a fire with nothing to do, which is very much how I felt watching these episodes today. So it's a good analogy. That being said, I know we got a couple of comments last time about how uh, our part one might have been a little too coach-centric. Buckle up, because (laughs) to Jay's point, I would argue that the coach stuff with some Tyson confessionals thrown in, by far the most interesting thing of these next five episodes. So we're going to get a lot of coach. 
Yeah, and I got to say, a couple we had a couple readers had written in or commented through emails, you know, like, uh, you guys need to talk about coach less. Talk about the other players. And I'm, it's, that's just such a bizarre way of thinking to me because, like, there's literally almost nothing else going on other than the Exile Alliance, which is going to fold real quick. So it's like, to me, like, talking about token chains and not mentioning coach, that's like talking about Jurassic Park and trying not to talk about the dinosaurs. I'm like, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. There's really almost nothing else going on here. To, uh, to interject a little bit of positivity, I think what it, this will set us up for is when we get to our final part. I think that's going to be the most interesting part of the season because we're going to be left with eight people who arguably are the eight more interesting people on the cast to talk about. And perhaps some of the more interesting things will happen at the end uh, of Token Genes. But, you know, like you said, it's going to it's going to take some very long, tedious episodes for us to even get there, including a uh, it, not only is it like four kind of slow episodes. We also have like a recap of the first 15 days, which were so phenomenal in the middle of this stretch. So uh, it takes a long time to really get to uh, for any, you know, for there to be any payoff in Token Genes. To be fair, I I liked this clip show. I know I f- it feels like every time I go into doing this, I'm like, I, the clip show isn't that bad. So it feels like a little bit of a boy crying wolf here. But again, if you're a fan of Coach and Tyson especially, the clip show is good. They actually decide to, uh, instead of like recapping the season and perennially sprinkling in new scenes, they just flat out do a bunch of new scenes and spend the first like two minutes recapping, as Paul said, the first captivating 15 days so far so i'm sure we'll, we'll like glance upon it as we usually do but yeah we've got four episodes plus a clip show but we'll start to see the tide turn a little bit we'll have a little bit of gameplay to talk about so i'll, I'll try to install some positivity in there as well as we approach uh, the uh, the toothless episode five yeah and there will be a dragon about to be slayed here which is a big deal yeah, it, it, it's weird, and I don't want to go on record and say, like, I am going to be negative toward Token Genes. I really don't have a lot of negative thoughts toward Token Genes. It's just I don't have a lot of thoughts toward Token Genes. Yeah, yeah I would say the one... Sense? No, that's exactly the thing. You have to have passion to have negative thoughts, and it doesn't really inspire passion in you. And it's one of those things I've said for years that, you know, people remember seasons as really kind of being different than they are. I think when a lot of people think about the season, they don't really remember the reality of it they tend to idealize it like oh there's a lot of jt and steven bonding and it's great to see two people from different walks of life and it's like richard and rudy and i'm like well yeah that sounds great but that's really not what you see in the episode there isn't that much steven and jt in fact through most of these episodes we're going to see today it's steven and taj like the jt and steven thing is kind of secondary so it's like one of those things i think a lot of people they really like the idea of the season but when you watch the reality it's not quite what you think it is yeah, we should also mention, this is probably going to be the most prominent we'll see Taj these next two episodes, because again, I mentioned this at the end of the last part, uh, much to Jay's chagrin, Taj is going to disappear, basically, yeah. at the merge until we get, you know, uh, Eddie George coming in for the family visit, and then when she goes at the final four, again, it's really weird editing, because it's not just the Exile Alliance, Taj is also in a pretty tight spot now that Sandy and Carolina are gone, much to Mario's chagrin, because uh, yeah, she's, she's kind of on the chopping block. But again, once that merge hits and it turns out that the Jalapows are not as screwed as initially thought of, she's, she's surprisingly going to fade into the background. Okay, and one thing that I've been trying hard to do, and I, I mentioned this in the last podcast, is when, when I look at the feedback that people give us on iTunes, 
the one thing that comes up over and over again is people saying, oh, uh, I like when you guys talk about what people thought of the season that it was as it was airing. Like, what was the reaction? What was the fan base talking about? Just what was the overall sentiment? So I will, I'm going to try to interject that in almost every podcast here. And like, do you remember kind of at the time when Token Cheens was airing, what the mindset were around this point in the season, episode four, five, six, do you really remember what people were talking about or what the big talking points were? Uh, I hate coach was the one that I remember specifically. <laughs> I remember uh, on uh, television without pity. I'm not sure if your BFF Miss Allie was still was still doing stuff, Mario. But I'm pretty sure whoever was recapping at the time just decided to call him douche since like episode <laughs> one. So they so basically every recap would be festooned with douche scenes. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. What makes me laugh about that is I can totally see that. I remember that from the time that people just hated Coach. And what's funny is when you're watching the season now, we aren't even up to the stuff you remember Coach for yet. Like, this is just pre-Coach at this point. So it's funny that he was already douche and we haven't even got to the major Coach episode yet. The one thing that I wanted to say, I, see, I, I don't remember much about the season it was airing just because I don't remember it really resonating with me. The only thing I really remember through the first six episodes or so was JT losing a tooth. I remember that was a big deal at the time, and I remember it was kind of got hyped on the CBS website. Oh, this guy loses a tooth. It's the first time ever we had that in a season. And it was just kind of remember the first half of Token Teens just being, you know, Coach being a douche and then JT losing a tooth. And I don't really remember anything else really being a talking point other than you know the exile alliance which we keep beating you over the head with but it's like this was what everyone was talking about at the season on the message boards at the time oh alliance it's cross tribes it's the first of its kind so it's like this is what token machines was historically at this point that we really didn't have steven and jt yet we didn't really have a lot of tyson being super cocky and being an asshole we didn't have coaches super dragon slayery moments yet so that's kind of the the historical context i guess we would be at at this point in the season would you guys agree or disagree with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was, I think kind of what you're saying, and what I remember too, is like building up to something that's really not going to come. It was kind of like, you're just waiting and waiting and waiting for something that you're never really going to see through. All right, so I believe we will get into it now. Token Cheens, episode five. Uh, what happens? We just lost Sandy, and we are, uh, I think we're tied at six to six now. This Halapows, Jalapows, and the, to- the Timber. God damn it, I can't pronounce anything this season. I'll, I'll just <laughs> say dudes. We don't know how to let's say just, that. Let's just keep you away from going south of the equator, Mario, because I think you're just like, you're out of luck trying to pronounce anything that comes from there. I'm from well, Seattle. Yeah. Give me Canadian words or Native American words. I'm good. Anything down there, no. Well, you know, this previously on Survivor, I was kind of paying attention. Okay, how are they setting the scene going into this episode? And they really, like we talked about, really hyping up this XL Alliance, giving us the backstory on that. So we feel good going into this episode because it's really going to work out. Um, the second thing was they were really kind of resetting the, the, the playing field, saying it's six on six and kind of really acting like it's going to be this epic battle again, which, of course, we don't see that either. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that uh, Jeff would try to, I don't know, compare the Jalapaus to the Fong tribe or something, because that seems to be his MO as of late, is to paint that narrative picture. That would be funny if the previously on were still shitting on the Fongs. <laughs> previously on Survivor, the Fong tribe went home, and, and they got lost driving home. Trying not to be the Fong tribe, Jalapau relented and won the next two challenges. <laughs> All right, so we open this episode with Stephen pleasuring Taj. There's a nice way to open the podcast. Yes, and then it cuts yeah. to uh, right from that, from some orgasmic back scratching, to uh, Stephen and Taj doing some butt stuff with tree mail. <laughs> butt stuff. That's nice. That's good. 
Sorry. He caught me off guard. That's what it is. I mean, that's what, I mean, come on. And what is a, a, Why the sad frown? Like, the clue is basically saying, like, why would this tree male statue not be happy? Oh, if there was a big old idol in its rectum. Oh, yeah. So Mario's not allowed to do south of the border stuff, but Stephen Fishbach is. Great. <laughs> Fishbach. Fishback, whatever. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce words. Yeah, maybe we need a longitude to go with the latitude limit as well. <laughs> I'm just a caveman. Your words frighten and confuse me. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So, Stephen and Taj find the idol in the, uh, in the, I'll say this politely, in the statue's ass crack. And they pull it out, and uh, Stephen gives us a little, almost a, like a villain-esque confessional. He's like, well, yeah, we found the, the uh, idol, but I'll, I'm the one wearing it, and I intend to keep it. <laughs> so it's like, oh, good, Stephen's going to have a, a villain, a villain turn or a heel turn here. All right, so that's enough of, that's enough of Jalapau for now. Let's go over to Timbira. All right, so uh, this is uh, the episode after, after what? Sierra has gone to Exile Island, and she found out all about the Exile Alliance, and she didn't know about it. She's like, oh, this is news to me. So she comes back, and she kind of confronts Brendan. She's like, what's all this alliance that I'm supposedly a part of, and you never told me about it? And Brendan's like, oh, oops. So anyway, there's this, uh, there's this Exile Alliance, and really this whole scene leads to nothing, because now, all right, well, now she knows about it, and it, it meant nothing. But, well, there's, there's a Timbura scene for you. What else there? Oh, Sierra points out, I'm proud. I'm no longer a loser. I'm on the winning team. We're going to take over the world. Again, just endless scenes of this Exile Alliance thing going to be a big deal later, and it's not. So whatever. Make well, that what well, make what you want of that. While watching this, I'm, I was trying to you know decipher some different levels of complexity, and that's one thing I really felt was lacking in these episodes was finding like depth to what was going on, and especially what we do here is really dissecting an episode. It's hard to do in some of these episodes, but one thing I did notice here that I think is very intentional that the editors do with Brendan is they really highlight kind of the flaws that are going to be his undoing at the end of this four-episode stretch, and we really see it here as Brendan is really shown as like not being a good communicator, leaving people in the dark. Um, you know, he, he explains about how, you know, he, he didn't get a chance to tell Sierra everything that's going on. That's going to come up a little bit later on Nexel Island. And that's going to be kind of a theme that Brendan kind of keeps his mouth shut. I think mostly out of fear of, of, you know, getting caught talking or of spreading too many rumors or whatever, whatever the reason may be. But this is going to be one of his flaws and uh, that ultimately takes him out in a few episodes here. So they do include little bits of this uh, every time we kind of check in with this Exile Alliance plan. Yeah, this this series of episodes, if anything, sort of shows uh, we've sort of seen the rise of Brendan the past few episodes, especially when he beats Coach in the leadership contest. Uh, that Brendan even didn't even know he was competing with Coach in, but it's really going to see like the crest and fall of Brendan. And I totally agree with you, Paul. Brendan's like very laconic in that it seems like he's almost playing the game a little too casually, which is ironic considering that Tyson and Coach are going to keep calling him a snake and how sneaky he is and how he's the best player in the game. But he almost seems to take things a little too easily by being like. We're all set up. You know, when we get to the merge, he's going to say, you know what? We have the Exile Alliance, but it doesn't really need to become a thing until, like, Final 8, Final 7. So we're good for now. And as a result, he's going to sit on his ass while they rope JT and Steven in on another plan completely. So I think, you know, we get Brendan built up as this big presence, but I agree with you, Paul. We're really starting to see exactly why Brendan is going to be losing allies. Yeah, Although, in, it, in his defense, I will say Brendan has some great quotes in this season. Like, he's very quotable, especially as we keep going in the next few episodes. Brendan is, to me, the – if we're talking about, you know, what do we notice on a rewatch, I think that Brendan is the one that is noticed on a rewatch, one that isn't 
one of these people from token chains that has been brought back a billion times. Like I'm sure people are going to gravitate toward coach and gravitate toward Tyson and, 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 and that sort of thing because you know, Hey, we've brought them back and Hey, awesome. But like Brendan is, is a one season character. And yet I'm not saying he's a, he belongs in the, in the, in the annals of great characters or he's a, a, a an archetype or anything like that. But his character is oddly fleshed out in in lots of different ways, just as Paul was mentioning, uh, just with, you know, he, you know, he's on top and but he's going to show cracks and he, you're, they're going to show, uh, you know, flaws into Brendan's gameplay and why he ultimately is going to, you know, may perhaps take a tumble. And so, you know, he, he's he's one of those characters where when you rewatch it, watch for Brendan because he he's actually quite prominent in this season. Yeah, he's absolutely one of the four or five biggest characters in this season, which, again, I think would definitely surprise people if they haven't watched it recently. And he's also, you said this, Mario, but he's such a great go-to person for coach response sound bites. I know that Aaron's going to be like the big one hyped up to, especially who is this jackass most infamously, but Brennan's the one who talks about uh, coach telling him about, uh, you know, I started the whole samurai thing. He's, you know, he's a CEO. I, I feel like we can't say that enough. This is like a, a big businessman coming in to play this game. And, and also being, you know, a, a big strategist, he has a, a great ability to be a straight man to coach's consistent crazy man. Absolutely. Yeah, Brendan, he's just one of those renaissance man, men who's done pretty much everything other than, as we learn later, throw a ball underhand at a tile. He has never done that before. I think that's something you just hit on that. And I think that that's one of the reasons why coach really works this first time. Um, you know, Co- Coach is, I mean, spoiler alert, Coach is going to go on and play this game a couple more times. And Coach is going to be Coach. And Coach is going to have fun moments every time he plays the game. And Mario is going to be here to tell us all about it. Hell but yeah. I feel like, you know, we have Coach at, at more gameplay kind of seasons. We have Coach as a more sympathetic and, and going on more of a journey and stuff like that. I mean, Hey, his exile Island journey. Hey, can't wait for that. But you know, um, I feel like, you know, coach, I'm not going to say the most comical, but like this is coach. It is coachiest, you know, like he's yep. really, he's, he's pouring it on here and we're really getting sort of the, the lore that is coach. And it's like, coach doesn't work just in a vacuum like yeah if if coach is just out there being crazy and he doesn't have like good uh react people as you said like brendan and perhaps aaron and, and also foils people to just kind of look at him and go oh my god you're crazy it's it's lessened you know then he's just then it's just oh he's a crazy person doing crazy things but because we have these people that he can bounce off and 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 sort of sound off on everything that he's doing it sort of makes it all much much more of a thing yeah. yeah well again this is his first time playing he hasn't seen himself yet on tv and that's i've always argued that's the only time you really see a person in their in their most natural element because they haven't become self uh self-conscious yet of how they're playing to the cameras he's still just coach the survivor player at this point no i mean right. uh, I, I made this comparison a couple times uh with coach to michael scott but i mean I personally think some of the most important characters in the office, especially starting off in the American version, were Jim and Pam, because there's no, in comedy, there's no way to sort of ground your reality without characters to react to the absurdity. So I totally think it's the case here where, I mean, there are a lot of (laughs) Michael Scott coach comparisons, but you really do need those people who are literally talking to the camera, voicing how insane it is, and really grounding that this is not normal. This person is doing abnormal things. Yeah. Do you think he's ever burned his foot on a George Foreman grill? No, he invented the grill. 
<laughs> yeah, you kind of started the grill thing. All right, let's get up to the reward challenge here. Since we have so much content we have to get through. <laughs> oh, the, right. the, 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 the spinny, the, the, the spinny challenge. Yes, the spinny challenge for warriors, dragons, and dragon slayers. Yeah, for people who don't remember, this is the episode five reward challenge where they, uh, the players sit on a little spool, they get pulled, and they rotate round and round and round, and they get all dizzy, and then they have to run across a balance beam, which is basically a most extreme elimination challenge, I think. I think that's where this one came from. It from kind of is, game isn't challenge. it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I need, right you I, are, Kenny. Right you are, Kenny. I need Gila Douche to tell me all about how it works. Well, I need Gila Koch. <laughs> I will slay the dragon. <laughs> but yeah, I, this is one of those things that, like, yeah, it's pretty cheesy on paper. But I kind of had fun watching this one, specifically, like, when they play the derpy music and you have them really spinning around and trying to get up. And it's really simple, right? It's just walk across this balance beam. Even Chris Doherty could probably do that. But (laughs) for some reason, because they're so dizzy, it just makes it that much funnier to watch. And, uh, you know, it's it's cheesy up until a point. And then you learn the reward is for toilet paper. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, for those of you who haven't seen it in a while, this is they they spin around, they get dizzy, they do the uh, most extreme elimination challenge, and then the reward is a trip to the Charmin Cafe where they get brownies and all sorts of picnic stuff, and then all the toilet paper you can shit on. So it's it's wonderful. I mean, <laughs> they're they're gonna they're gonna need that toilet paper to dry their eyes after Captain Tennille yells at them a bunch. Man, we're gonna get the nerdiest fan base following the show, just MXC fan. What do you mean getting? We've already, I think we've already reached maximum capacity. <laughs> right, you are, Mike. I feel like, I feel like there's a good base of people that listen to Survivor historians that know, like, that you know, most of us are like obsessed. I mean, sorry, Paul, that most of us are obsessed with MST3K, and it's like if you like MST3K, then you love MXC. It's you're like, making a lot of assumptions here, Jay, but continue. <laughs> They're all correct, but continue. We're hurling a lot of letters in Paul's direction that I don't think he knows too much yeah. about. No, I, I know Paul doesn't know, and I, that's why it's like, Paul, just tune out for a second. But, you know, the rest of us are like big MST3Ks and MX. It's like, God, come on. If you haven't seen those things, watch those things. They're fantastic. Okay, so, yeah, the uh, the first team to get three people across the platform wins a trip to the shit cafe. And uh, so what is it? The first round, we have Tyson spinning against Taj. And Tyson, you know, they spin around, they run across the balance beam. It's kind of comical. Like you said, they play the derp music. And it's one of those scenes I would love to see someone like Rudy Bosch get have to do. <laughs> like, you'd watch Rudy just go flinging off. Anyway, so Tyson wins the first round for the Timbures. And then after that, it's all Jalapau, which I think might be the last time Jalapau does anything in this season. Mm-hmm. And they basically dominate this challenge. Spencer wins over Aaron, then JT wins, and then uh, Sydney wins. And I, I should point out, we get another return appearance of Steve Pushback's ridiculous run in this challenge. <laughs> it's I, I, like it's it's fun to really focus on it this time because I know we put it out last time with the uh, the zigzag challenge, but he runs like an anime character. It's so <laughs> weird. I think it, I think yeah. it's the hands for me. Is that like yeah. it? It looks like he's power walking, but his hands are not like usually you run with like your your fist balled up but for some reason his hands are flat as if he's trying to like cut the air and make himself more aerodynamic yeah my wife my wife mentioned we were watching the scene this morning and she's like it looks like he read a book on what you're supposed to what your running form is supposed to look like and he's trying to follow a good form but he just doesn't do it well that's what it looks like steven is definitely not an alien (laughs) yes 
<laughs> Very good. So anyway, yeah. So Jalapau wins the reward, and again, this might be their last stand in the in the in this season here. And uh, so they get to go to the Charmin Cafe, and uh, they get to pick someone to go to Exile Island, and they pick Brendan as always. And uh, Brendan wants to pull in the other member of the Exile Island, so he's going to bring in Stephen again. Exile Island Alliance just dominating everything here. So, and this is where the fall of Brendan, I think, is really going to kind of start because, you know, Brendan takes Steven and he's laughing. He's like, yeah, we, you know, we got this all figured out. We got a plan. We keep pulling us, our, pulling our team over there to meet up at Exile Island. And we get a little voiceover at the end of the season from Tyson. And Tyson says, uh, you know, Brendan's meeting a lot of people over there. He's dangerous. He's getting dangerous. And hear the music, the dun, dun, dun. And if you really watch the season, this is kind of where the downfall of Brendan will start. It doesn't start with Coach so much as it starts with Tyson. Tyson's the one who's really noticing things here. Something I noticed from this batch of episodes, I know we talked about, like, Brendan being a bigger character. What I didn't remember about Tyson 1.0 is that I think a lot of people remember him as just a bigger character. He's obviously going to come back as a villain. But I, I think that in another world, if that, you know, Warriors Alliance sticks together, I think Tyson had the game on lock. He was, you know, crushing challenges. He had this really amicable personality that's obviously going to carry over into him eventually winning the game, but he actually had a pretty good shoulder, a head on his shoulders in terms of figuring out game. Maybe not so with dealing with people like Sierra, but this is like this, where he's the one going over to his alliance being like, hey guys, just so you know, I'm pretty sure Brendan's making ties to the other side. Let's get rid of him. And I know that when we get to the merge, he's also going to be the one to really be pushing getting rid of Brendan. He's going to have his own, you know, big downfall in our last part, but I'd forgotten how much of a, of a power player Tyson really was, not just the goofball who walks around naked. Yeah, it's one of those things when Tyson, I, I know we hate to drop spoilers on people, he's going to win a season later in the future, a couple seasons down the road here. And at the time, a lot of people were like, wow, I can't believe Tyson's a Survivor winner. And I was even kind of like that too, saying, oh, I can't believe Tyson, Mr. Comic Relief from Token Chains, is a Survivor winner now. But like, you watch this season again, it's exactly like Mike said. Like, he's a really good player. He's sneaky, and he's smart, and he hides behind the, I'm the goofball, everyone laughs when I talk. But he's, I mean, he's a really good strategist, and he's kind of vicious and mean, and he knows what he's doing. So he very easily could have won this season if a couple of balls had bounced a different way. I agree. Right, and, and what got him eliminated in Heroes versus Villains? I don't know. That would, This has been one of those long-standing questions no one really knows. Was it... Well- how do you how how much credit are we going to give to Russell for that one? Right, you know there there's a little bit of switcheroo stuff, but I you know Tyson did say that one of his strategies in Heroes vs Villains was he was not going to talk to the camera people, a la Danny Boatwright, you know, and then you know he was going to listen to the questions they were asking him as clues as to what was happening, and he just you know you know yes Russell and other things happened, but Tyson also really overthought you know and and. You know, it's one, you know, yeah, it's a misplay. It's a misplay all around. He overthought it. But at the same time, Tyson's thinking like well ahead, you know, like like usually people who win the game, you know, they're either very good at being able to steer something in the moment or they're able to think ahead and steer things in their direction. I mean, Tyson definitely can can perceive suss things out and and try to get things going his way i mean he demonstrates it in token genes and you know he was you know he tried a strategy in heroes versus villains didn't work but it doesn't mean that he's bad it just means that he really thought something ahead and then he overthought and and things happened and you know i think that that's you know anyone that disses tyson or dismisses him as just oh he's just comic relief oh he just man tiara blah, blah blah it's like tyson's dangerous at all times 
Yeah, I mean, Tyson's not that much different from Sesternino was back in Amazon. Like, they're hiding behind the goofball persona, but, like, they're killers. Yeah, that, that you're right. And that's always the the weird thing with, with multiple seasons and people coming back multiple times is, yeah, they get another shot to win or they get another shot to, you know, they were doing well and then something derailed them along the way and maybe they can not have that happen in another season. But I think also when you when you come back for multiple seasons, you affect your own personality or how people perceive you along the way. And I think that, you know, Tyson is a respected player and he's, you know, gotten a lot of traction on, you know, with, with a lot of his stuff on RHAP and, and things like that. But Tyson, I feel like a lot of people are like, well, yeah, I guess he's a good strategist. Cause you know, he, he's gone far and won one games and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, Going back to just token genes, if he never came back ever again and just did this season, you still have to say Tyson is a legitimately good player at Survivor. Yeah. Nope, I agree. He was in with pretty much everyone. Everyone who mattered anyway. Yeah. All right. So let's go to the Jalapau reward here at the Charmin Cafe. I just want to let you know, by the way, hold on. I just want to let you know that I've literally spent the past 10 minutes trying to figure out Rudy Bosch playing the spinny game. Yeah. And what have you figured out? I just I just wanted that interview where he's like, yeah, I got on the thing there and uh, the guy spun me around. I ain't never done that before, uh, <laughs> but I did it, I guess. Drew, my like fantasy game of that would have like, you know, like Kim Johnson on there <laughs> and like Diane Ogden and, you know, throw some of those women up on there, spin them around and watch them tumble. I mean, that would be a challenge. Kim, you're playing for Charmin brand thongs. I know you want it. (laughs) We'd have to up the game for Paul that the spinning game would be right next to one of the cliffs in Gabon, right next to those giant hills. (laughs) Then they'd be rolling down like in one of those Warner Brothers cartoons. They turn into like a a little sandball or snowball or something by the bottom. Survivor legends, make it happen. Make it happen. On top of that, have a a blindfolded ace stand there with a shield and Randy yelling at him to try to dodge him and get him out of the way. (laughs) There we go. It's our Survivor Historians fan fiction season. I mean, what else are we going to do? Just lots of Stephen Fish back doing butt stuff. Butt stuff. (laughs) All right. Let's go to the Charmin Cafe. So speaking uh, of this butt is stuff. A, yeah, speaking of butt stuff. Soft, pliable butt stuff. That's the Charmin way. All right, so anyway, they go to Charmin Cafe, and this is the Taj gets to have a little picnic with her buddies, and it was kind of funny. She goes, you know, this is the first reward I've ever been on. I haven't really met my team yet. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, she's been at Exile Island pretty much every time. So, uh, yeah, they go and they eat their stuff and they, they wipe their stuff and whatever they do with Charmin. And then they get uh, – there's a little surprise there. They get letters from home, which I thought was bizarre. I'd completely forgotten about this until I watched this episode this morning. Like, why do they get letters from home on day 14? Is that the earliest that has ever happened on Survivor? Like, it's, it was so anticlimactic. Yay, letters from home. Like, what? wait a minute. We just started the season. I remember, um, and I was not around to cover the season, but I remember it finding it very weird that in Vanuatu, um, the Yasser tribe went to that um, cafe, kind of a similar setup. But that was, I, that day-wise, that had to be way later than this because that pre-merge was way longer. Yeah, that was after a twist. Even with Gabon, remember, they right. went to the picnic on top of those cliffs, and that's where they got the letters. So it might be like same place in the pre-merge because there are only a couple of votes from the merge, but because there's less players, it's a shorter time frame. Yeah, that was weird, and I loved that uh, that a Joe's letter started off with whoever wrote him wrote Brosif. Brosif, I the, wrote that down too. <laughs> at the top of it. Yeah. 
<laughs> and Stevens was like a letter from his internet girlfriend on AOL. <laughs> from his waifu? <laughs> yes. But yeah, I, not- I noticed that Brosef as well. I'm like, oh, that seems exactly like what someone would write to Joe. Hello, also, Brosef. Also, Jenna Lewis didn't get hers. No, it would have been funny if they finally got Jenna Lewis's letter. It came late. <laughs> Post-dated. Anyone want to watch this? This is Jenna Lewis's here you, Survivor 1. Here, you, you take this, Sydney. Let's try to make you interesting. Here you go. <laughs> All right. So that's our Charmin Cafe. That's for the nice people at Soft, Pliable Charmin. All right. So let's go back to Simbira. And now the game is on where Tyson kind of pulls aside Debbie and Coach. And he goes, you know, Brendan's making ends with the other people on the other, tri- the people on the other tribe. I don't know why he keeps going there. They like all seem to like him. They all respect him. They like are friends with him. He's like Brendan's got to go next. Like he's he's dangerous. And so again, this is where uh, it doesn't start with Coach. Coach will latch onto it later because of course that's what Coach will do. But yeah, this is really a Tyson thing at this point. Well, Coach is too busy predicting the weather. I think it's understandable that he has other things on his mind. Yeah. Again, something this. The edit that they give Coach this season is so obvious when you watch for it, just how much fun they were having making fun of him. And this is one of the first really blatant scenes in the season, again, if you look for it, where they just show Coach saying, you know, the weather patterns, they change. He's going into his little Hunter Ellis impression here with the the prevailing winds are coming around from the east and the south. And then Coach is like, yeah, the storm, there's a storm coming, but it's not going to hit us. And then immediately cut to lightning and the storm hitting them as they're all drenched in their shelter, which (laughs) is such a, a jarring transition, but it's just... Just get ready. If they're if you're you're looking for the editors to make fun of Coach, it's it's all going to start right around here, and it's going to uh, they're going to put the gas pedal down real fast here. It's going to happen a lot. But yeah, this is one of the first big coaches a hypocrite moments. And then it cuts to again one of these great foils in Aaron. It's not only saying that he's kind of a jackass, but saying that she wouldn't be surprised if at the end of this, Coach revealed that he was a an accountant who never left Nebraska, and this was an act the entire time. Yeah, great quote. Great. Give credit where credit's due. That is a fantastic quote by Aaron, one that I had fun with on the Funny 115, but yeah. Now, Paul, as a Montanan, do, how do we feel about Nebraska? Um, well, if you br- must bring that up. So when I was in fifth <laughs> grade. story prepared. So we're talking about, you know, Survivor Australian Outback. Let's set the scene for it. It was a really big deal. Christina Aguilera was coming through uh, Billings, Montana. This was a very big deal that she was coming on. So back then, MTV was really big. So she went on MTV. And whoever the idiot was interviewing her, I don't know who it was, asked her, like, okay, so, Christina, you have your upcoming tour. If you had to cut one location on your tour, what would you cut? Okay, what kind of question is that? Well, probably Billings, Montana, because they're just a bunch of hicks. Okay, so we showed her when she came to Billings, Montana, when she came on stage, we booed her so loud and threw beer bottles at her and we showed her we are not rednecks. And um, it was really bitter because her next stop was a a county fair in Nebraska. Uh, But, you know, we wanted to make sure that we were, you know, more redneck than Nebraskans. Christina, which city on your tour trip has the mistaken belief that they are running your tour? (laughs) <laughs> that's pretty much what it was and uh billings you don't know what a poser is apparently you are <laughs> yeah i like how I'm, now we're calling billings the courtney Merritt of christina Aguilera's world tour <laughs> i, I want to see what what billings montana's totem looks like when it gets smashed in the face by the log when its third chop comes <laughs> 
I like the irony there that throwing beer bottles out of her at her is how you show that you're not a redneck. Exactly. For the record, I didn't. I was not fortunate enough to actually attend the concert, but I did know people who were there. So yeah, I was holding out for Brittany, who never came. <laughs> wow. I, Paul had a Nebraska story all planned. I love that. It was all queued up and ready to go. I, I, like, I mean, but it's look, not it's... even about Nebraska. <laughs> it was tangentially related to Nebraska. There's also a movie called Nebraska that starts out in Billings, Montana, and the guy goes to Nebraska. You know what's funny? I just watched that movie last night, and so I actually have some Montana trivia here. Yeah. Is that if you drive to Mon- from Montana to Nebraska and you say it takes longer than two days, they will laugh at you in Nebraska. That's what I learned from that movie. Yeah. So that whole that whole opening scenes the whole, the opening scenes are in billings like filmed here and stuff like that so uh why are we tell, talking about this i could tell maybe the season's so scene, interesting yeah the opening scene was them all throwing beer bottles at uh as uh, bruce dern i remember that yeah <laughs> our little montana side story there all right then thank you so survivor token jeans oh yeah charming cafe soft pliable all right, so we go to Exile Island here. <laughs> we cut from, from a barren Montana to barren Exile Island where nothing's going on. So, uh, yes, uh, who is this? Stephen and Brendan. I mean, Stephen no, they're, 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 yeah. their uh, budding bromance will be hashed out a lot more in the uh, recap episode when they're spooning during the aforementioned torrential downpour. But here it's very much like the uh, the Sierra and Taj Thing less time they're like oh yeah we're in an alliance great nice to meet you hey welcome to my vacation pad let's hang out and that's uh pretty much it pretty much it all right so you know we could move aside from those dull characters let's cut over to Sina Jalapau between Sydney and Spencer because that's who I want to have anchoring a scene here to be fair I think this is I mean th- this is one of those survivor editing moments when you're like this person we have not seen now we're seeing a lot of them we know something's wrong but I mean, I appreciate this moment of at least getting to know Spencer, and it's at least, like, interestingly portrayed, where you have Sydney talking about this Shambo-esque dream about her boyfriend eating chips and salsa in in an earthquake, her boyfriend Kelly, uh, winner of season two of The Apprentice, I'm assuming, because that's the only male Kelly that I know, Um, and then... Yeah, and then it cuts to uh, Spencer, where she says, like, oh, you got any girlfriend? He's like, I'm not really the uh, relationship type, and, you know, this is where Spencer reveals his sexuality. Getting back to the dream for one hot second, I love that Sydney describes his dream, as Mike said here, involving uh, boyfriend Kelly eating chips and salsa during Earthquake, and her reaction to this dream is, I, I was like, I have to marry this guy. <laughs> I don't understand that. I feel like, Sydney, there's a lot more there we could have discovered. <laughs> but sorry, getting back to Spencer being gay. <laughs> I love that you said, okay, this is one of those scenes where we get to meet a character we don't really know yet. We know they're in trouble. And I had to think, who are you talking about, Sydney or Spencer? I didn't know which Both, one two yeah. for one. Uh, yeah, so this is, we learn a little bit about Spencer. We learn that he's gay, and he's, it, it, it's kind of an odd here that, that I hate, again, we're spoiling our winner here, but we're, we're going to throw JT into the bus here where Spencer, we, they put in the quote in there where Spencer says, I'm a little worried that JT's, you know, old redneck, good old boy, he's not going to accept me. And, like, we never actually see JT say that. It's odd that they'd kind of leave that quote in there because JT's our winner. But just something I noticed on this uh, rewatch. Let's see, anything else going on in that scene other than we learn who Spencer is and that Sydney has dreams about well, <laughs> chips? I think it is an interesting sort of mark of the times. You know, I, I think that society had come a long way since Richard Hatch in season one. But I think it shows that it still had 
a little while to go. I mean, I think we had some uh, very, I won't, again, date this podcast, but Survivor has had some very interesting moments for the LGBTQ community as of late in its season. So it's really interesting to see sort of like at its halfway point, almost in the middle season, someone still say, yeah, I'm gay, but I'm still afraid to tell that to my tribe because I don't know how they're going to perceive it. Whereas I feel like nowadays it, it, it's, it can be more out in the open and it could be okay. People are less likely to worry about those types of things as being a reason to flat out, you know, be targeted. Yeah, agreed. Although again, there's no, it never actually comes up that he's targeted for that in this. Yeah, It's just kind of a Spencer character moment. But yeah, like you said, it is interesting that we still at this point, it had to be mentioned that he couldn't tell everyone that. I also um, just did some quick internet research about Sydney. Uh, turns out she is married, but not to Mr. Earthquake Chips and Salsa Kelly. Uh, she married oh. some, she married, they met at a bar, her husband, Jason Mahan, met at a bar named Happy Endings. Uh, so poor Kelly, unfortunately, I don't know how long their relationship lasted, but turns out she did not act upon her dreams. I was hoping that she was, you were going to say she did not marry a man named Kelly, but a woman named Kelly from Survivor Gabon. And then they had a wedding where she wore a denim, $200 denim dress. What a condescending wedding. <laughs> I love that you compared Sydney to Jenna Lewis earlier, and then she ended up meeting a guy at a bar named Happy Endings. So the irony is rather thick there. All right, episode five, immunity challenge. This is one where the uh, this is the JT's tooth memorial challenge, where they uh, there's a slingshot, they're slingshotting a ball out into the air, and then everyone's trying to catch it with a net. And again, I would say as the season was airing, this was the big moment of the season that people were talking about. As much as people might not remember that, but this is kind of a big deal in this season at the time. This is also a very MXC immunity challenge. Yeah, well, because they're not. Sometimes they use what like the. Sometimes they use the, the little, like, uh, three-person carrier. Sometimes they use the lacrosse sticks. This time they're just using, like, fishing nets to catch, uh, you know, like, volleyball-sized balls being launched at them. Uh-huh, this is Gila Douche. You can catch my fish. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, so here we go. So, yeah, they're slinging, flinging these balls up in the air, and everyone's crashing into each other. And this is basically where JT just owns. He's just is flopping all over the place, crashing into things, catching balls, diving into the mud. And at one point, I think it's the uh, the fifth ball or so, where he and Sierra are going for like the same ball, and her net hits his net at the same time, and I think it crashes into his mouth. It's, it's hard to, sh- to see exactly what happens. I was watching it. I kind of watched the scene a couple times this morning trying to figure it out. And it looks like he gets hit with his own net into his tooth. And then he chips half a tooth off. And it's a it's a big moment. And then he's like, you know, big tough warrior moment where JT's like, I don't need my tooth. And he picks it up and throws it into the mud. And Probe's like, hey, 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 you're going to need that tooth. And they have to go hunting for his little tooth. And, and Probe puts it in his pocket. And so again, this again, and I can't reiterate, this was the moment that everyone kind of remembered and was talking about at the time halfway through the season. So weird. Especially Jeff. <laughs> Like so, He's so and, into this. It's and like, really well, weird. let's also remember in the timeline of Probes, like this is around the time that Probes became executive producer. So maybe he felt he had a little more responsibility to be like, it was as if like someone had like lost a contact. Like, okay, nobody move. Let's go in the sand and find the little chunk of tooth and I'll put it in my pocket for later. Yeah. So that's the one thing that happens in this challenge is JT losing his tooth. And then the other thing is that Spencer just is not very aggressive. He's not like crashing into people. He's not blocking the Timbiras. And as they get to the end of the challenge, JT starts yelling at him, do something, Spencer. It's kind of like if you go back to Guatemala when uh, Brianna wouldn't do the picks, it's very similar to that. And 
again, this is what's going to do in Spencer more than anything here. And I guess that's all we have to say about this. Okay, so anyway. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, so uh, yeah, Jalapau does really well with JT. He's getting all these points. But what a lot of people don't remember and something that I actually didn't remember until I watched this episode today is that Timbira actually comes back and wins. This is the JT's tooth challenge, but Tyson has a big comeback at the end. He makes all the, gets all these points for Timbira. And Tyson and Tibira have this amazing comeback win, and uh, they are sending Jalapau and poor Spencer to Tribal Council. So we get, you know, a little bit of our uh, secondary boot edit here because Taj is hot. She is running hot and she just sort of uh, kind of throws a fit in the middle of the water and tells everyone to kiss her ass. Uh, I love that. And, and, and so we <laughs> so have random. Yeah. And so we have this uh, very Gandia, uh, which is probably why you love it, Paul. Uh, but but woof, woof. you have this moment where she walks away and you have uh, it seems like the guys at this point are kind of like the triumvirate of JT, Steven, and Joe are kind of in charge of the tribe at this point. And so you have Joe and JT kind of talking to Steven about how yeah, maybe we should get rid of Taj. And I know, Mario, you talked about earlier, Steven's sort of villain moment of him possibly pocketing the idol. But this is where Steven kind of starts to debate, you know, is it worth it for me to cut Taj here and I'll be the only one that knows about me having the idol? Yeah. Although there's one thing I, I forgot to mention in the challenge that just will come up later is that right at the end of the challenge, there's a little throwaway moment where Joe's like, oh, I banged my knee. It hurts. And that's going to come back later. I think a lot of people don't remember it happens in that challenge where he gets he'll get evac for that knee later. Oh, yeah. So like you said, basically, it comes down to Taj versus Spencer at Tribal Council tonight. And, and Taj is trying to throw Spencer under the bus as much as she can. And, yeah, Fishback's kind of caught in the middle. And we go to Tribal Council and uh, we lose beloved survivor favorite Spencer in, at the end of the episode. And I should point out there's even a little feud here between Joe and Taj, which I wrote down in my notes. Hey, there's a feud between Joe and Taj, but I didn't write out any details. So that explains how interesting it was. So, yeah, it really doesn't affect much. I'm like struggling for things to say. Sorry. Yeah. And no, it's, just, it's this weird thing where like uh, Joe says like, Taj, you never said outright that you didn't have the idol. And Taj is like, OK, should I say it now? He's like, no, don't do it. You've already like you've already made your bed. She's like, OK, well, just so you know, I don't have the idol. So it's. It's very inconsequential. I know we talked about this a little bit with, like, Brendan and Tyson. I'll throw Joe in there as well as someone who I did not remember playing as big of a role. He's obviously not one of the bigger characters, but I was surprised at how much Joe was, like, a voice on Jalapau as, like, one of the uh, narrators at their camp. Granted, he's not a captivating narrative narrator, but I do feel like before his medevac, we get a good handful of Joe. Yeah, to the point that even when he gets medevac later, it's like a big sad moment for everyone. I thought you were going to say to the point where you're like, oh, actually, we could do a little bit less. <laughs> no, I just remember when I when I wrote my funny 115 entry about Coach and his Amazon story, which we'll get to. Don't worry about that. But it all starts with Joe being medevac and everyone's all depressed and sitting around the campfire. And then Coach tells a story to cheer them up. And I had forgotten that Joe was like even a major character. But yeah, if you watch that episode, they're like, oh, Joe, he, he got medevac. It's so sad. And like he was a big character. And like Mike said, like, I really don't remember him being that prominent in this in the season, but he kind of is, at least by Jalapau standards. He, like by Timbira standards, he's not important, but by Jalapau, yeah, what the hell? They don't have much going on. So yeah, let's throw Joe in there. He's a big character. Joe is a contestant on Survivor Token Sheets. They'll give him the Rebecca Borman treatment. He hasn't been on The View. <laughs> <laughs> so Spencer, are we going to eulogize Spencer? Spencer is, um, 
you know, youngest youngest fan, and or yet well, he was one of the youngest people to play the game, or the youngest, right? And yeah, he's like the frosty of token, chips. right? Yeah, I mean, not anymore, but yeah, at the time, you know, and and he was, you know, a lot a lot of people knew him, and apparently he was a big super fan of the game, and blah blah, and it's like he's one of those that because of these attributes, I think that you know. <sighs> A lot of the fans, fans that are listening to this podcast, people who who search for extra content of Survivor, they're such a fan of Survivor that they they seek out, you know, more than just, you know, what CBS provides and, and things like that. You know, a lot of these fans, uh, um, you know, fit sort of the mold of perhaps Spencer in the sense that they're younger um, and, and they're Survivor super fans and they go on there. So I think that people do a lot of when they think of like characters, I think that people imprint themselves onto Spencer quite a bit. And so Spencer, I I remember when he left and things like that, people were just like, they really rallied to Spencer's defense and were like, you know, he could have been a character. He could have won. He could have, he could have, he could have Spencer's out episode five. You know, that's how it goes. And I, and I, I don't want to besmirch him. I'm not trying to sit here and say like Spencer's lame or blah, blah, blah. But it's like a lot of times people are like, you know, Spencer could have Spencer falls into that category of he could have maybe what if sort of thing. And it's like, I get you. But at the same time, he didn't. He's only played the game once. He was out episode five. I also uh, this might be a little too gossipy, but did, did Spencer date Todd after the show? I seem to remember that. I think so. For a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So that's 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 cute. A little like another uh, like a Kim Powers, Alex Bell esque uh, dating across seasons. Because I remember that was a big deal. Even even by the time he was out and some of his exit press and right afterwards, that was kind of a big topic um, in the Survivor community, which I know Mario cares so much about. I'm learning things left and right here. This is fantastic. I don't know any. Of that. I've never heard any of this before. It's true. That's what we got. All right. Yeah. And with that, that's we lose. Good. Beloved fan favorite Spencer, who could have been a great player, but could have been, not. but he's not. But at least he'll go down in history as the most famous super fan Spencer to ever play the game. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and next up, just in time for Mike Bloom, it's the clip show. Oh, my favorite episode of You're every on, Mike. Season. Go for it. <laughs> I'm just going to mute my mic and you can talk yeah. for a while. I'm gonna go. Yeah, away. see you in five. All, All right. right, everybody. It's the it's the Bloom Corner now. The Bloom Bunch. Uh, fun fact: I believe I think this is the last clip show they do on an even numbered season. I'm pretty sure they did this because of March Madness, and you know they didn't do an Exile Island. They decided to just like block things off for a month. Uh, like I said before, they literally recap the season in two minutes and just spend the rest on secret scenes. So if you're into that sort of thing. This episode is full of them. Uh, here are some highlights. Uh, Tambira is eating some nasty fruit and trying to eat minnows on the first day. I know we talked about how Sydney doesn't have that much character development outside of the weird dream she has, but nobody on Jollipow is able to make a fire except for her. Uh, Steven calls her a woodland goddess, which again uh, goes back to this weird sort of waifu personality uh, we built out of him. We get a Tyson montage of him goofing around, including uh, making Debbie kind of dry hump him, which is really strange. It's a weird, like, Mrs. Robinson-esque relationship. Uh, We have this weird moment where Coach and Sierra get in an argument. Coach convinces her that he's doing it for her own good. He's comparing it to, like, pushing the baby bird out of the nest. And Sierra kind of buys it, 
which is strange. He accepts that, oh, it's because Coach believes in me. Uh, Taj is unhappy about the fact that she's bitten up like a leper and is actually concerned about how she'll look when she comes out of the game. But of course, I think the big thing to go to come home with about this is focused on Coach. This is the infamous scene where he decides to liven up the camp by conducting some Tchaikovsky. The great thing, Mario talked about how the editors uh, have really bought into Coach at this point, and it really shows here where they literally play the song along with Coach to the point of where when he accentuates the dynamics and, you know, fortissimo, pianissimo, the dynamics do it. The, the background does it, which is just incredible, incredible editing. Cut to Aaron saying, who is this jackass? So there was a lot of stuff in there. I personally enjoyed it, but it seems like apparently I've been enjoying these clip shows much more than the uh, general Survivor public. Let's put that away. Let's move on to episode six. Hey, I saw you flash the coach signal. I came running. You're talking about coach? Yes, it was the uh, the eagle screech in the sky. Ah, yes, excellent. Thank you. No, there's a great scene in the clip show. Again, I don't normally watch clip shows, but for coach, maybe I'll make an exception here. There's a great scene in here where he's talking about how much how awesome Tyson is, how Tyson's funny and charming and attractive. Yeah. yeah, and he's like, and that's what attracts me to him. And then Coach kind of catches himself, not in a homosexual way, of course. <laughs> so he, he pulls a little Richard and Rudy there, which I appreciate. So there you go. That's uh... Oh, and there's a bench-building contest in there, too, isn't yes, there at be- some point? between Brennan and Coach do a bench-building contest. And again, it's more of a representation of the apparent power struggle between the two. Uh, Coach ends up winning, but the the others joke that, like, oh, if they're just going to have sort of a, a pissing contest, let's have them do, like, a fish-catching contest and a shelter-building <laughs> contest. That way we get all our work done. <laughs> the little Greek Olympia. Is this the first competition that Coach and Brendan are ever in that Brendan is actually aware of? The others are all in Coach's mind, right? That could be true. All right, Hello? let me call. Let me call Hello? Paul back. Uh, Christina Aguilera is coming to town. Paul, you can come back. Well, all yeah, right, no, let me no. grab my beer bottle. I'm ready. No, I'm, I'm here. Yeah, no, I'm doing the Historians podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mic's muted. They can't hear me. No, they're talking about. I, I mean, my God, it's terrible. Jay, what? Honey, Jay. Oh, pick up, please. Oh, oh. <laughs> what's up, guys? How are you? <laughs> All right. We're back from the bloom corner. Oh. You know what? If you don't like token chains, you could have said that to her face. You didn't have to be so wishy-washy, two-faced and manipulative about it. Okay. Manipulative. <laughs> manipulative. I like how we're using past season stuff. <laughs> this is how we talk about token chains. We just talk about other seasons <laughs> instead. Like we've mentioned Jenna Lewis, we've we've gone manipulative. <laughs> That's classic. Kim Johnson That's and classless, a g-string. Kim yeah. Johnson and a g-string. Imagining Rudy on the spinny wheel. Like Sesternino, <laughs> Gandia have been mentioned. Like like we are on an absolute roll here. Uh, that's okay, because we have now the Sydney episode, so that should uh, brighten our days a oh little bit. Oh, my God. We should go have a away. bingo card for people listening at home, like every season that's referenced. See how many we've done in this uh, in this episode. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to go away for a while. You guys talk about Sydney. <laughs> you know, uh, right. this, this reminds me a lot of Ravu post-Anthony boot. <laughs> oh Anthony, God. another one we mentioned. Anthony, there we go. Add it to the bingo card. All right. So anyway, uh, we're going to see if we can name all 300 survivors in this one podcast. It'll be great. All right. So episode seven, the Sydney episode. We start with Sydney saying, wow, they voted out Spencer. I'm probably next. And Joe saying, you might be or it might be Taj. <laughs> there we go. That's five minutes of TV right there. All right. Let's cut to the next scene. 
Okay. Oh, good. Here we go. Again, whenever the season starts to flag a little, and it's going to flag a lot, let's throw in a coach scene. So here we go. We're gonna, the editors are going to start figuring this out. They're like, we don't really have any content, so let's just do coach doing jackass things every couple scenes. And so here we go. Coach is not pleased with the way that the beans are being cooked at Timbura. So there's a whole scene where you know they're, they're cooking their pot of beans, and Coach doesn't like it. So after they're cooked and everything's been boiled, he throws in some fresh river water. Which, of course, now you got to boil it again because you just introduced bacteria into the beans. But Coach doesn't like it because the beans haven't been cooked long enough. And yada, yada, yada. It's a big uh, bean gate scandal. And then uh, the rain comes down and Coach can't go and tend the fire. And then the beans burn. And it's a big old thing. And, again, it's way more interesting than anything happening at Jollop House. So you can give me shit for talking about Coach, but I'm not talking about Jollop House. There's, really so, yeah. there's a really fun moment, though. And I think you actually talked about this on the Funny 115 with Rodney and Joaquin. But there's a similar moment here where – Coaches this thing where he likes to swing his arms and clap while he's yes. talking. And if you notice in this scene, Brendan's going to start to mimic him, almost to make fun of him right behind his back. But there's a moment when Coach looks over him and Brendan like immediately stops as, and tries to like really play it off. And it doesn't phase Coach whatsoever. So it just shows that like at this point, these people are so fed up with Coach that they are making fun of him like inches away from him and he has no idea. Yeah. Although I will say... Yeah, I mean, that's a great scene. I love that moment. I noticed that, too, when I was watching that, that Brendan starts modeling Coach. And, you know, Coach Cutter kind of started the whole hand flapping thing, so he just kept doing it. But, uh, yeah, so it's a big controversy where Sierra says, you should, you should maybe cook your own beans in your own pot, Coach, if you're going to be selfish. And this is kind of Coach's thing now. He just has to do things Coach's way, and everyone else has to just deal with it, and they're getting annoyed with him. But Brendan, again, a very astute observation, again, as we're hyping up Brendan as a good, smart player here. Brendan says, you know, coach does these dick moves and he's really selfish and he's like just kind of all he thinks of himself. He's just kind of a pain in the butt, but he's very predictable. And his players go, I love players like that because predictable is great. So it's just it's just a very savvy quote from Brendan right there. Like I can deal with coach because I know what he's going to do. So it's easy to deal with. Mm. Very like uh, Boston Rob Philip Shepard, I feel like in that mentality. Exactly. And you just name two more and we can add them to the bingo card. Well done, Mr. Bloom. All right, uh, so uh, now we go back to Taj and Steven, and Taj says, I want to tell JT I have the idol. And Steven says, is that a good idea? And Taj says, I don't know. And we're done with Jalapal. Let's go back to Team Pira. That was fun. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of, let's say I'm trying to think of some obscure survivors I could throw out and mention our bingo card here. Kind of reminds me of a little uh, uh, Morgan McDevitt from Guatemala. It wow, was that... kind of magical, like that magician's assistant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so let's go to the reward challenge. This happens to be one of my personal favorite scenes of the season. This is the throw ceramic pigs through a barricade challenge. Yes, it's, it reminds me of the uh, the last civilian season of the mole that they did when they had to carry all those like clay pigs back and forth in a wheelbarrow. But oh it, my god, yes! It's it's this weird, uh, and that was also in South America, so maybe it's just a tradition there. Uh, but it's this this it's an, also a take on like the build it up, tear it down challenge where you build the bar a barricade for the other tribe, and then once after like five minutes, you then have ten minutes to throw as many ceramic pigs to each other through those barricades, and whoever has more pigs at the end of ten minutes wins. Yep, absolutely. It's the James Miller Memorial Challenge. We can add another name into our bingo card here. Yeah, so the reward of this one is uh, they get a little waterfall trip, they get to have a barbecue, it's a cool little reward, and 
And one thing I wanted to point out when I was watching this this scene is that you know there's this shots of the two tribes building their little barricades and the little in the little platforms, and the editors put in some really cool yeah, wipe effects. The pole Did you wipes. <laughs> Yeah, the pole wipes. It was it was just kind of a quirky little thing. Like they were did lots of weird little special effects in the edits in China, and they do it in this scene too. Just yeah, whoever was editing that day decided to go for an Academy or uh, an Emmy, and they just start throwing in a bunch of weird wipes, and it's kind of cool. Speaking Survivor of waterfalls, remember in the, <laughs> speaking of waterfalls, remember in the Marquesas when the Rotu tribe had to go to the waterfall. <laughs> I do and remember the general was there. He was there, and Zoe was. Working hard, playing hard, and deep throating Snickers. <laughs> That's good. We got two oh, more on the list here. Good job. I was gonna what, say, a po- call, what a callback reference to previous Survivor Historian episodes. I love it. I was going to say Pole Wipe was probably Rob Zabaknik's career after his time in Thailand. <laughs> yeah, I, already, I already mentioned Jenna Lewis, so I can't even make that joke, so whatever. <laughs> All right, so here we go. So, so they have ten minutes to throw ceramic pigs through these little barricades, and this is this is a fun challenge because it's basically just pigs exploding in the middle of nowhere and people getting all pissed. And, and this one looks fun. And again, it's distinct. I can't think of another challenge that was really like this. And then the other season is just a – there's one little thing that's kind of unique to Token Sheens, and it's this one. No, I, I like it because it, it has that element like like Mike was talking about where, where um, you know, you, you're doing something to obstruct the other tribe. But instead of it – you know, there, there's an applicable skill in both of those things. One of them, in, in this one, it's to throw and catch ceramic pigs, which is difficult or, or a feat in and of itself because, you know, they easily break. Whereas in Palau, it's, it was all about not untying, yep. which, you know, it, that, that's, that's just whatever, right? And, and you know, I, th- I, I like the – I think this is a, like a better visual than just, you know, oh, we're just going to untie some knots and then go to the end. The one question that comes to my mind in this challenge is they do a lot of, you know, try to include local culture in the challenges sometimes and or the rewards. Is Brazil known for pigs? Am I alone in asking this? Why why have they used ceramic pigs? How does that come about? Is that just something they had a bunch of ceramic pigs sitting around and they wanted to ruin to ruin them? Well, I, yeah, I don't know, but they had like the the same like the way the ceramic pigs were made was also very similar to the immunity idol they had. Like that wasn't a pig, but that same type of like maybe this region had a lot of that um, ceramic type of objects. Okay, could be. I'm just curious. You guys I don't know. know I'm guessing. Your... I'm not allowed to go south of the South America, south of the border, so I don't know, but. I'm just curious. So yeah, there's a great. It's a Timbira's way ahead in this challenge because Tyson and Coach have this good little system going, and then Jalapau starts coming back, and it's really JT and Sydney have a good little system they figured out where JT just basically fires an underhand fastball through this little corner, and she has to catch it. And and apparently Jeff keeps pointing out people keep getting hit with these pigs in the chest, and Jeff's like, "Those pigs hurt." Like I'm, I'm guessing it's the ears, but I wouldn't have think a ceramic pig would hurt that much. But anyway, well, the pig Jal- that was hurting the most was the pig that came into the Kucha camp, unfortunately attacked by Michael Scoopin. I do remember that, and Jeff Varner had the spear. He said, "The spear, you got the spear. Kill him and show me the pig." Ooh, bingo! Bingo! Good job, Mike Bloom. <laughs> it, it 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 was it it wasn't as nice as that pig that went into the camp uh, in one world that Kim got to ride. Oh, Ooh, future! Does it count if we name future seasons? I already named Philip Shepard. Whoa, so I guess that's, I guess that's time it. travel! This is like, uh, hey, get this TV reference. This is like season five of Lost. Time travel. Cat says touche, touche, Paul. <laughs> is that like the one show you know? Yeah, not all the way. I'm, I'm not done with <laughs> no, those. It's, it's for Paul. It's Lost, Game of Thrones, Survivor, and Big Brother. <laughs> well, hey, RuPaul's in there too. Big. 
Yeah, and, and RuPaul, some sporadic drag race. Haven't started that yet, but it's coming. Yeah, let's watch Aaron Sissy That Walk now. All right, so yeah, so uh, Timbira goes way ahead, Jalapau comes back, and then at the end, Timbira has this great comeback where Coach and Tyson start catching all these pigs, and JT starts choking over in Jalapau, and, and Timbira wins 14-13 to 13 in one of the more exciting challenges of the season, and absolutely one of my top 10 favorite moments at the season right at the end of the challenge. You guys know what I'm talking about? Tyson with the pigs. Tyson with the pigs. This is something... A lot of people would not have noticed if you got if you haven't seen it in a while. Just watch for the scene where, you know, Tyson's been throwing all these pigs to Coach, and they win the challenge, and and Timbira immediately meets in a big hug to celebrate. But not Tyson. Tyson's first instinct is not to celebrate and hug his his teammates. His first instinct is he yells, "Give me a pig! I want to smash it!" So he runs over to the collection of pigs at the start and starts throwing them down to the ground as hard as he can. So, and it's a really funny screenshot I, I've posted on the Funny One Fifteen. But just watch the episode and look for that scene. It's a really funny little background moment of Tyson just absolutely going bloodlust on the pigs. I'm sure John Kierhopper was like face palming during all that. They, like they could hold on to like maybe a few pigs and now Tyson's destroying them all. <laughs> We're going to sell those on eBay. There's a going to charity. No, Tyson. No, the sorry Elizabeth Glazer Pediatric AIDS Foundation. <laughs> <laughs> Tyson is your worst nightmare. Pediatric AIDS. All right, so yeah, so Timbira wins, and they get they win the reward, and they get to go on the waterfall trip to the barbecue, and it's going to be cool, and they get to pick one person to send to exile, and they pick Joe from Jalapau to send to exile, and Joe pulls Aaron with him, so that, that I'm sure that's going to lead somewhere interesting. Well, did you guys know that Joe and Aaron have a connection outside the show? I did not. Let's, let's sit down for the Bloom Corner. Uh, Share this I mean, information. This is very short, and this is like... Uh, straight from uh, the anime lover himself, Stephen Fishback, uh, put this on social media like four days ago. Apparently, Joe and Aaron had a mutual friend, so it's not the level of uh, of uh, Kenny Cox with between Marcus and Crystal. But I don't know if they they knew each other before the game. But it, I'm assuming if they went to Exile together, you know, we see this actual like pretty tight connection between Aaron and Joe from here on out. I like to assume that that mutual friend was part of it. So this is going to be like the Lincoln-Kennedy coincidences? Could be. Yeah. So Aaron had a secretary named Joe, and Joe had a secretary named Aaron. All right. So let's go to our reward. This is where Timbira is at a waterfall, and they get to eat all these big burgers, and uh, they swim, and they, they have these float toys. And again, my one of my personal favorite coach moments, my top 20 of co- everyone jumping into the, the lagoon and swimming, and there's a shot of Coach trying to do the same thing, and he bails and face plants right into the water. And it's a, it's a hilarious little screen cap that it's just a throwaway little moment in the season that I always fixate on because it's just the editors deciding to shit on Coach a little more. All right, and then Coach has a little comment here. He's like, you know, with Aaron not here, these are my people. Everyone here is happy. I love these people. I would do anything for them, And which is odd because Sierra's there. I thought that Sierra and he didn't get along, but there's times in the season that seems like that he really does kind of care for her and look out for her. So. so apparently Aaron is still the devil, the one smiling evilly, and he's so happy she's not there. It's very funny because I think you're right. I think I think that the interesting thing about Coach ultimately is that the show is laughing with and at Coach, like simultaneously. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they they love Coach. You can tell the people that producers just love this guy. But they're having so much fun laughing at him at the same time they're laughing with him. It's just it's just all over the place. That's the thing. I don't know how this isn't just me or us. I don't know how anybody could talk about token chains without just talking about Coach because 
you're going to see within the next two, three episodes, like 70% of the scenes will be just coach stuff and people reacting to them. So that's this is where we're going. Like it or not. But not right now, because we're going to exile. Oh, yeah. So Taj and Steven. Oh, wait. <laughs> I don't even have any notes about this exile trip. They're they just like, hey, I have the clue. Hey, let's go find the idol at our respective camps, not knowing that they're both gone. But well, is Aaron's going to come back empty handed or she'll, you know, reach up there next time and find that there's nothing to grab. Uh, Jalapau is going to be a little more proactive with uh, what they choose to do with that empty space. Oh, yeah. It's going to be time for more Stephen Fishback butt stuff. So, yeah, so Taj and Stephen decide, well, you know, when they come back from Exile Island, they're going to have a clue. They're going to know that there should be an idol here. So let's put something that looks like an idol into the statue's butt, and they'll think it's a real idol. So, yeah, as you were saying, it's a little proactive butt stuff. Now, on the, the, on the Crowley scale here, if we're going from, like, Ozzy on one side of the spectrum to Bob Crowley on the other, uh, where, where does Taj's fake idol fall? To be honest, I, don't, I think I fast-forwarded through that scene, so I'm not entirely sure. This might be more of a Paul question. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, once the adventure does get found, he's very convinced of it. I don't know. I feel like it's like pretty like mediocre. Like I don't think uh, anyone would be a total idiot for thinking that it was an idol, but it also is not amazingly sculpted. So. Yeah, it's okay. And I'm impressed you managed to name Ozzy and Bob Crowley, so good job. Two more for the bingo card. Well, I was thinking, like, if we think about the, you know, string of fake idols here, it's like, uh, you know, we talk about fake idols or, or idols that get played incorrectly and stuff. We go from China to Micronesia to Gabon to token chains, one after the other. Of course, like everything in token chains, this will amount to nothing. <laughs> to nothing. Absolutely nothing. Real back to basics fake idol. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know, I had some people in a debate with me on the internet just the other day and uh, one of survivor message wait wait, wait wait hold on hold on you, you i know internet debate. debate on the internet yeah. okay yeah okay i'm a nerd okay jay fisher just call me a nerd so anyway yeah so i was saying you know token teens isn't that great a season and that's the argument i keep getting hit with well it's a back to basic season it's fantastic because it's so old school so i just mike just uh just i will i will use your comment right there it's a back to basics fake idol so there you go all right, so here we go. So we're going to get some proactive stuff on Jalapau here, where JT is going through, I forget, he's looking for fishing gear, and he opens Taj's bag, and he finds Taj's idol in there. And he's like, oh my god, Taj has an immunity idol. So he goes to Steven, and Steven kind of reacts like a deer in headlights, like, oh, Taj has an idol. So it's a really awkward a little Nathan Fielder-esque scene here, where JT's telling Steven... Taj has this idol. She's not working with us anymore. And Steven has to act shocked and he's not shocked enough. And it's just kind of a weird scene. But anyway, to make a long story short, fast forward, they're going to pull in Taj. And all of a sudden now Steven, JT, and Taj are kind of going to be like a little threesome that they all know that she has an idol and they're going to kind of work together. And that's that will come in play later because I believe up to this point, the alliance has really been Taj and Steven. And it's going to be JT and Steven kind of from this point. So this is actually, as much as I kind of gloss over it, kind of a pivotal moment in the season where I think the Steven and JT thing will start to happen. Well, let me read you um, exactly what my notes say. Joe finds fake idol. Joe slash Sid think Taj is going Z, 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 And that's all I have for the rest of the episode. Z, Z for Zoe. I was going to say that's cheating because we already mentioned Zoe, so now you're trying to get Damn. double points, Paul. Damn, sorry. Yeah, you fucking Montana redneck. You don't get double points for Zoe. 
I think there is. I think there is something interesting, though. I agree with Mario. I mean, it's even it happens. I think earlier on in this episode where Steven is actually pretty well positioned in this threesome, in that he is the middleman. You know, he's well connected with Taj. He's well connected with JT, and Taj and JT are not well connected really. So I feel like. You know, should he get to the final three with them, he, they're obviously going to choose to dump Taj before the final three. But if they should do that, he's kind of guaranteed to get to the end either way. Now, could he win in that scenario? I'm not entirely sure. But I feel like if they're thinking ahead to the very end game, he's put himself in a pretty good position here. Yeah. Yeah, and it's one of those things like Steven, he'll get a lot of credit for being a great strategist. But I'm not necessarily sure that's his strength. I think socially he's pretty good he seems to have ties with a lot of people and you will see this again with coach even later the coach kind of takes to steven right away just he likes him so it's like people like steven he seems to have an inroad with just about anybody well steven's perceptive and i mean steven has a lot of pluses i mean you know as much as as much as people ballyhoo him and then some people are trying to backlash and go well he's he gets he's a little overrated or blah 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 steven knows what he's doing but i think that Sort of the story here is, and, and even with this whole Z Z Z Z Z Z Z Z Z story, you know, it's all about how like when Stephen or when JT notices the idol and like Stephen's sort of caught, like like Stephen makes up some sort of story. He's just like, oh well, Taj, she just find it and she just found it and she like just she like just showed it to me. So like you know, I was totally gonna tell you about it, dude, but like I'm still processing it myself. And it's like it's this like really horrific sort of like half-ass story. That comes out, but JT's like, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah. And 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 knowing JT and his track record after token chains, that seems pretty legit. Like, you know, JT likes you, you tell him a story, he believes you. Like, you know, but that's bad, you know, because people lie and people uh, do sort of the, the deception thing. And what's funny is, is that JT has Steven this time to sort of, you know, because every time something happens, usually JT's got Steven and Steven goes, yeah, that. That that sounds like a lie. That sounds fishy and stuff like that because JT has none of that. Like JT's just like, hey, you guys told me a story. I believe you. <laughs> he has no LIDAR. Right. All right, so let's go. Episode 7, Immunity Challenge. This is one where they have to shoot tiles with a slingshot and release sand and do a bunch of puzzles. And Basically, this is the Tyson versus JT challenge where Tyson and JT are trying to shoot out tiles and uh, whoever does it fastest will get the puzzle pieces for their team. It's a weird mech. It's a weird mechanism, though. I was trying to figure it out, like watching the big pictures we have of it, because it's like you shoot the tile and that releases sand, which causes this like mechanism to lower, which then uh, like lets loose the puzzle pieces swinging in front of you. But as we'll see later on, what sort of screws Jalapow is you can nick the the tiles and sand will come out, but it'll also kind of screw you later down the line where. With JT, since he only nicked the first two tiles, there's only like a quarter of the tile revealed, and so the slam's going to come out a lot slower. So, I mean, I feel like the way I'm describing it is literally like watching sand pour through an hourglass, but it's a weird kind of mechanism to watch actually happen. I was thinking the same thing when I was watching that I was trying to figure out the mechanism. I'm like, okay, so the first one comes down, then the second one, and then Jeff is like, well, you didn't knock those down far enough, so the third one's never going to come down. And I'm like... I don't understand how that works, but I also don't have no mechanical reasoning skills, so I have no idea how it would have worked yeah, anyway. Considering, but yeah, considering you didn't remember how gears worked <laughs> during Gabon. <laughs> I have no idea how any of this works. I'm explaining it to my wife, and, and then she explains to me, well, it's like that one in Australia where the water bucket comes down, and remember then there's Nick Brown and Amber Burkich, and they can't do it because everyone's tired, and so I just got two more points on my bingo card there. So yeah, it's an interesting challenge, and uh, 
you basically Tyson just uh, I wouldn't say he dominate, but JT doesn't knock enough sand out of his first two tiles, so he's aiming at these tiny little tiles towards the end, and he's he's never going to win. So basically, Timbira kind of dominates this one towards the end. Although there's a there's a fun moment where they can switch out someone to shoot for them, and after Tyson's finished shooting, you know he's done. He's just watching his puzzle people do it, and over on Jalapau, they're like, JT, do you want to switch? And Tyson's like, Hey, I'll go over there and shoot for you if you'd like, JT. <laughs> just a great Tyson Dick moment. Yeah, so I, Brendan... I, I, well, I also learned that, like sand through the hourglass, some of the days of our lives. Very good. <laughs> Jay, big fan of daytime TV here, Jay Fisher. I'm watching my stories, okay, right. Mario? My the un- stories. The unemployed Jay Fisher staying home all day watching TV. You're watching your coach stories, right, Jay? Uh, Yeah. <laughs> all right, so yeah, Timbira wins pretty easily once Brendan and Aaron solve the puzzle, and... Uh, and really, that's kind of it. It should be it for the game, because if this was the last point that Jalapau had to maybe keep the numbers even going into the merge. And with this, now they're going to be down six to four. They're about to lose their their fourth member, fifth member, fourth member, what it, fourth member. So yeah, so this is really kind of the turning point in the game that were this to play out like your typical Survivor season, this would have been the turning point, like where Pagongs can't come back and catch Toggies. This should have been it for the for the Jalapows. I know we don't like to play what if on this podcast, but do we, do we wonder if Timbira happened to go one more time before the merge, who would have gone and would that have me- meant that once they got to the merge, they might've been a little less combustive than when they were. Who would have gone? I mean, if Timbira went to one more tribal council. Yeah. Like, do you like, do you, do you think they actually would have struck and gotten rid of Brendan right now? Uh, I do think so. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to say, cause that's what the edits leaving you in, but I don't think, Tyson and Coach were capable of making up bullshit for the cameras. I mean, I think they really believed what they were saying. And when they're saying, I'm going to get rid of Brendan, I think that's exactly what they wanted to do. So I think Brendan would have been gone very soon, yes. What do you guys think? I think maybe Sierra. I feel like once you go to the merge, they're very like keen on Brendan and Sierra have to go. So if they thought there was still a chance that there'd be another tribe challenge, I could see them cutting Sierra to weaken Brendan. But that's, that's exactly um, what I was thinking. Yeah, because I mean, I, who knows? They might go for Aaron saying like, "Oh, she's weak." You know, let's finally get the little devil out of here. But I think this is a perfect way to say we'll still strike at Brendan without necessarily taking him out in case there happens to be another challenge before a merge. Yeah, I, I sort of agree with that. I think that that Sierra is way more vulnerable if they go to a tribal council before the merge than after the merge. Okay. I stand corrected. I think you guys are probably right, actually. All right, but we're not playing what if. We're going into reality here, and Jalapau's about to go to tribal council, and we get some ominous discussion about Joe's wounded leg that's oozing and filled with pus, and they're like, eh, we won't vote Joe out, though. I'm sure he won't get medevac later. Let's vote someone else out first. <laughs> So yeah, so uh, so uh, what happens here? Joe, he came back, comes back from Exile Island. He finds the uh, the Stephen Fishback butt stuff fake idol behind the statue, and he finds it. And does anything really come of that? I think Paul already mentioned that that nothing really comes of it. But he finds the idol, and really nothing happens, right? I mean, nothing could happen because he leaves in two days. But oh yeah, okay. He 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 tells Sydney, "Hey, if you're in trouble, I'll play my idol on you." So we missed out on like a a good Siska-esque moment, but nothing really comes of it. Yeah. And so really it's going to come down to, is it going to be Sydney or Taj tonight? And so as, as always, it comes down to Steven and JT kind of in the middle and they're deciding, you know, which one do we vote out tonight? And JT basically decides I'd rather spare Taj because she has that idol. 
And he's like, uh, I'll find some way to use that idol for me in the future. It's my idol, so I'm in the spare Taj. So really, that's what's going to happen to Sydney. Sydney's going to go because JT wants to use Taj's idol. And with that, we lose the beloved Sydney from Survivor Token Genes. And I believe that is our inadvertent five seconds of silence in her honor. It's really sad. Is Sydney the most forgettable person on this season? <laughs> I think so. I think she's the worst of them. Well, I think so. I don't know. I think Spencer's pretty forgettable. Sydney does have a little storyline at the start. Remember where she's going to flirt and use her body and and, uh, and the crazy old lady Sandy gets all upset about it. So she actually kind of does have a storyline at the start. But by now, yeah, she's clearly pretty forgettable. There's nothing going on in her story. And that's also a storyline that we've seen a good amount of time before between your Parvities and your Misties and whatever else, you know, have you. So it's not exactly like a very nouveau story as opposed to Spencer, who, granted, it's one episode, but it's this really interesting story about him deciding to, you know, hide a part of who he is. So it's unfortunate, uh, you know, Candace definitely has the resume to maybe put her above Sydney uh, during this battle for the bottom. But yeah, I, I might have to rank Sydney last in terms of memorability, unfortunately. I'm impressed you got Misty. That's a triple word score. That's a very impressive play. Nice job on the bingo card. I'm playing Scrabble bingo, apparently. So anybody have any last words on Sydney before we get to the fun coach things? Go to the fun coach things. <laughs> it's time for the Mario corner, my friends. <laughs> All right, here we go. Episode... Isn't that the entire podcast is the Mario corner? Ooh, hey, Mario, I would like to be in your corner. Yes. It will be once we get rid of you, Mike. Two more episodes, then it'll be the full Mario Corner. It'll be awesome. Ooh, right you are, Ken. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> douche. Plumpy. All right, so here we go. Episode eight. This is the Joe episode. We're going to lose another another beloved character. Get it on. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Uh, we already did James Miller. I can't lose get, get any bingo points for him. All right, so Jalapau's down to four. They're going to emerge down four to six, and they know they're screwed. But it's okay, because we're going to shift off, shift the focus of the season a little more, and we're going to open with Coach's first Dragon Slayer scene. This is, I mean, again, it can't be said enough, Mario. The production is having so much fun with this. Between the epic music, I forget which song it is, but it's the bum, 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 bum playing it's Excalibur. with... It's from the, the movie Excalibur. It's the theme, the big theme music. With lights literally flashing as... I don't think Coach has branded it Coach Chi yet. This might be part of the uh, the ancient Tibetan uh, martial arts that is only passed down through spoken word, but this is where we start to see the beginning of it. Yeah, this is it. We just It's just a fantastic scene. And again, if you hate Coach... I, I, I sympathize with you. I feel bad that you're going to hear a lot of coach references over the next hour of this podcast, plus part three, plus basically the rest of my entire life. But there's a lot of coach stuff, and it all starts right here where they dedicate the entire opening shot to coach doing his Liz uh, stretching out in the water to the Excalibur theme song that's both over-the-top, big, bold, you know, medieval music, and it's hilarious. And maybe I can talk Mike into playing that at the start of the podcast here. It's so perfect, and I can't believe they actually paid for the rights to that music just to use for this one scene. But they did. And so they're, they're all, there's a great shot of all in Timbira just kind of watching Coach. They're just sitting there like, what the hell is that guy doing? And he's down there doing all his warrior poses and stretching. And, and Coach basically gives a little confessional where, uh, you know, it's the merge now. This game was team-oriented, and now we're down to 10. We're going to merge. And this is about me now, which really should be the subtitle of the season. Token teens and then in, in parens, this is about me now, because that's really what it's about for Coach here. 
And so, yeah, Coach, is, he's, he's completely changed his mindset. He's no longer a dictator. He's not doing stuff to antagonize people. He doesn't get in fights. Now he's just this noble warrior, and he's going to go around and give everyone shoulder massages, and he's just, he's all at peace. He's doing Tai Chi and stuff. So he's just at peace with everything now. And even Aaron says, you know, he's walking around giving us massages. Like, I love this guy. I love new Coach. And uh, we got Brendan saying basically the same thing that, you know, Coach is a lot nicer all of a sudden. Now he's all of a sudden he's, you know, getting his this mystical orient stuff. Like he's all Mr. Wise and everything. He's like Mr. Miyagi basically. And then <laughs> Brendan drops a, a quote where, uh, you know, Coach is always brushing his hair back and pulling it back with a little ponytail. And and he's like, uh, and Coach says, you know, I kind of started the whole samurai thing, Brendan. <laughs> Brendan's like, what is that? I didn't write down his exact quote, but he's he like. Says, uh, he says, the samurai have been doing it for thousands of years in Japan, and Johnny Depp's been doing it here for 20. <laughs> yeah. And again, just to back up what you said earlier, that Coach only exists 70% because of Coach. The other 30% is everyone reacting to him, and Brendan reacts to him better than anybody. I mean, maybe even better than anybody in Heroes versus Villains even. But yeah, so <laughs> the legend of Coach, the the warrior dragon slayer, really kind of starts right here. And this might be the first time, first maybe and only time, that Johnny Teff was name-dropped on Survivor. Yeah, he's not even on our bingo card. That's That's how impressive this is. And yeah, I, I guess, uh, I mean, what, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean came out around the time Pearl Islands did, so maybe they missed the boat there. Yeah. Pearl Islands, the season with Rupert, right? There we go. Yeah, that's yeah, neat. But, that's you know, that's the center square. That's, that's too easy. Yeah, but, but they're, they're, still, they're still making, I mean, they're, they're on Pirates of the Caribbean. At this point, they're like on Pirates of the Caribbean, like, four or five, the quest for more money. <laughs> well, it's a baseball's joke. Wow, nice work. Yeah, thank you. All right, so we get this massive, big coach moment, and we'll cut to Jalapau, and they're basically sitting around saying, wow, Joe, your knee looks bad. And Taj's like, it looks bad. And Joe's like, yes, it does. I mean, it, it, it does look pretty bad, though. I mean, it's like red, all like a good foot down from the initial puncture wound. I mean, I think you could, I, it definitely makes sense when the doctor... Um, and him go on like a helicopter date later on, which I want to point out. But uh, we're like, he, it looks like he was very close to like possibly losing his leg. It looked nasty. It did. All right. So let's go. Okay. Here's a great underrated little coach scene in this season. Again, you may hate all the big douchey coach moments, but there's some fun little ones like this one where Brendan has, is walking back to camp at Tambira with the tree mail. And he's unwrapping, they have a little tree mail about the, the merge feast, and he pulls off the rubber band, or the little string, and he hands it to Coach and says, Coach, your hair tie. As if it's just, it's, it's understood that when there's a little piece of string, Coach gets it for his hair. So I just like the implication there in that scene. All right, time for the merge feast. All right, so both tribes get to merge. We get the, the big, colorful Timbira tribe, and then the Jalapows. And they all merge, and they get these green buffs. These really cool mint green. Has there ever been a buff that color in Survivor before? Paul, Oslison, I ask you. Um, it kind of was the same color as the Survivor Palau camo buff that was not used at the merge. Okay. Um, other than that, I'm not sure. Okay, yeah, it's, it's just very distinct when I looked at that buff. I'm like, I don't think I can think of another buff that was that color. It's kind of cool. All right, so yeah, they all get their 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 new buffs. They sit down and they eat. And Coach gives us a great quote where it's kind of like it's like getting a new girlfriend. There's all kinds of new things you have to learn. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, feel free to just dissect that one any way you want. It's kind of like that. So anyway, uh, so Coach gets to meet them for the first time, and he immediately is taken by JT and Stephen, who he just really 
bonds with right off the bat. He really thinks they're cool guys. They're earnest. They seem honest. He just really wants to hang out with them and talk. And this will, of course, become prominent in the strategy later down the road, but it starts here. And, of course, JT is a warrior, and Coach respects warriors. This is going to be a, a big theme, especially as Brendan falls. Not just Coach, everyone is going to fall in love with JT. Everyone, to the point of where people are saying, like, we need to get JT to the end of the game. And it's still ridiculous looking back so many years later about the fact that people were willing to almost lay down their lives in the game because they feel like there's literally nothing wrong with JT. He needs to make it to the end of the game. It just makes sense. Yeah, it's it's really blatant. It's going to start maybe right around here, but next episode really big where JT is going to start to get the winner edit of all winner edits where other people are openly hoping he gets to the end and beats them just because it would be good for the JT. <laughs> like, what? I've never seen another player be openly discussed in just such glowing terms like that. Can you think of anyone that is kind of like that in, in Survivor history? Where just no, the other this players... is absurd. This is, yeah. It is so absurd to hear these things. Like, I even I've seen it a few times, and it's still just, like, mind-boggling to me. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll get more into that because we're going to see a lot of it coming up. Okay, so this is where they uh, have to come up with a tribe name. And Fishback comes up with a good one here. Dingus. Yes, yes the will, means will to overcome. So was he trying to pull like an Eric Reichenbach here and like try to name the tribe Dingus because he thought he'd be able to pass it off as some sort of Portuguese phrase? I would love to think that, but I don't think he probably was. He seems probably a little too earnest to do something like that. I'm guessing it is a real Portuguese phrase. And maybe Steven isn't aware that it is also like a slang for a penis. <laughs> Maybe he just wasn't aware of that, but yeah, coach catches on right there, right there. He's like, I, I'm not going to be in a tribe called Dingus. I'm sorry. <laughs> so who comes up? Uh, coach, of course, comes up with Forza Strength. That's the tribe name, Strength. All right, so they're the Forza tribe, and then uh, there's a nice awkward moment at the feast where Sierra, of course, asks over to the the Jalapau. She's like, Why did you vote out Spencer and Sydney? We were so surprised. What was your thinking? And it, like, everyone just clams up, and it's a nice awkward moment. You know, there, there's a lot of shade thrown at Sierra throughout this whole season, and a lot of it I, like, never really understand. But I think that might be an indication here of some of the, like, social cues that Sierra might not pick up on or execute so well is moments like that where you're like, eh, probably not something you should be saying right now. It's kind of awkward. I don't know. Maybe the fever from the strep throat took the judgment part of her brain. <laughs> yeah, she had strep throat, okay? She had a fever of 101, Okay. All right, so they merge, and both tribes. Do they decide which camp to go to, or does production just tell them? I think. Yeah, I think. They, I think in this case, they just go back to Timbira, which makes sense because I think. I don't know. I, I think Timbira might have won more rewards, so I think they had the better camp overall. Okay. I also think like we just get to a point in Survivor history where the options just gone, and production picks the camp that's more convenient for them. As as someone who's you know run my own bootleg survivors before, uh, that's kind of what we did. It was like you know what this camp is significantly closer to everything else we do out here, so you're just gonna go to this camp, okay? Okay, sounds good. We're long past the days of Sean Kenneth deciding where they're gonna live and what the name's gonna be. Bingo. All right, so uh, they go. Yeah, they go to the Timbira camp, and the Jalapows are definitely the visitors here because the Timbiras are telling them how they cook the rice, where the beaches are, how we do stuff. And the Jalapows are like, yeah, we're definitely uh, just kind of guests here. And here's where a pivotal scene in the season happens now, where JT and Coach kind of go down to the beach to start fishing. And I love how the scene opens, where JT's like, "Hey, Coach, you fish?" And of course, like, what the hell is Coach going to say other than, "Oh yeah, of course, five-time champion, big big fish, no." 
Of course, of course, of course, coaches fish before. Well, he not only does that, he says he has done some fly fishing before. He says, it's all about the art of the cast. Like, I haven't really done it, but by the way, I know exactly what it's all about. It's a special kind of fishing you can't read about on the internet. <laughs> some coach, of course, coaches fish many times. So they bond over fishing, and this is where coach really starts to like JT. Even they're just sitting there talking, and Jay, coach is like, you know, this guy's just a good old boy. He just He's very honest and earnest, and I just really like him. He's a warrior. He's tough, and I'm sure the fact that JT was winning all those challenges and he lost a tooth, it just really inspires coach where – you can call coach all you uh, hypocrite all you want, but he seems to really admire this type of player, the someone who's strong and sticks his neck out like that. So, uh, coach inexplicably just starts laying down his life for JT. Like, we you and I need to work together. I will never lie to you. And JT's like, okay, cool. Like, all right, I just got here, but whatever. And so, so coach immediately like starts bonding with his new BFF. And uh, this is where they start to worry about Brendan, where JT is like, yeah, I think Brendan's powerful. And Coach is like, I'm glad you said that because I think he's too powerful. And I kind of started that line of thinking. And so, yeah, so JT inadvertently kind of gets pulled into an alliance with Coach, who just doesn't really need to do this. He just does. Yeah, there's a, there's a nice scene in the next episode where Steven and JT are sitting around, like, incredulously saying, wait, do how do we have all the power? How did this happen? <laughs> Because it's one thing for, like, Coach to, uh, to you know, to, to say. It's sort of like what we were talking about with Steven and JT, where, like, someone will come up with a ridiculous idea and someone will be able to, like, shoot it down and put it on the rational side. But Coach then brings this idea to Tyson, who's like, great, all right, here's what's going to happen. It's you, me, Steven, JT, and Debbie. We're moving forward with that play. So, like, this actually becomes a thing. Yeah. And again, just Steven and JT fall ass backwards into it. It's not really they're doing, but I'm like, Which okay, we'll go with it. Steven fell ass backwards into his first alliance. <laughs> Yeah. This isn't a weird scene. A lot of people I've read compare the season to Gabon, and I didn't really see it until I'm kind of watching these episodes now and paying attention that, yeah, all the people in power just fall ass backwards into it repeatedly. Anyway, there's a great little JT villain moment here that maybe a lot of people might forget where JT tells us, you know, these Timbiras, you know, they have the power, there's more of them, but they all seem splintered. They don't like each other. And he's like, and it's my job to make sure they hate each other. So he kind of grins. He's really got that that devil JT thing, which we're going to see in later seasons or at least at the end of this season more. But so JT kind of tells coach, you know, that I, they had uh, there were clues out on Exile Island. And, you know, Brendan probably has an idol. And he goes, I, I think he says, I know for sure that Brendan has an idol. He basically tells coach that and coaches probably suspected this. But now he hears a confirmation for sure. And once again, JT has said, I want them to hate each other. So now he just stirred the pot a little. And now coach goes over to Tyson and says, you know, Brendan has an idol. I got confirmation. So, you know, JT's doing some sneaky stuff here and you got to kind of appreciate that on some level. All right. So this is, this is kind of the side alliance, which really makes not a lot of sense. It just kind of happens where coach and Tyson were already thinking, getting rid of Brendan. And now that JT, now they love JT and coach loves Steven. Coach is like, I propose a new alliance where it's me, Tyson, JT, Steven, and Debbie. And we're going to take out Brendan and then we'll just rule the game. And again, there's no need for doing this because coach is already in power, but he seems very insistent. And it just kind of happens where Tyson wants to do it too. And all of a sudden now this is the alliance in power. Coach Tyson, JT, Steven, and Debbie. And we will know this down the road later as the Warrior Alliance. But this is kind of where it all starts. And we have, a, we have a moment, you know, Coach and JT had their moment. Now Tyson has his moment to fall in love with JT over a poisonous catfish. And we get a, a fun Tyson confessional here 
Uh, he's going to get much more uh, <laughs> erotic with Brendan later on. <laughs> but this is when yeah. he says, you know, he talks about, uh, you know, when Brendan lies to me, I can, you know, I can see it immediately. When I lie to Brendan, you know, you can look at me in my sweet blue eyes all day and I'll tell you sweet nothings and you'll believe all of them. Yes. It's <laughs> a great one of my favorite Tyson quotes. So, yeah, there's a lot going on behind the scenes here. It's all really drawn, stirred by JT, Coach, and Tyson. And then this is where Coach will. I believe this is the first time in the season he mentions this, where Brendan is the head of the dragon. And, oh, is this going to be a theme for a couple episodes? Oh, God. <laughs> by the way, don't talk about Coach. Don't mention Coach on this podcast. What is the episode title of episode eight? I think it's called The Dragon Slayer. Is that it? Or is it that episode is. Eight? Yeah. Excellent. All right, so yeah, so this is where, and again, I should point out that JT and, like Mike said, JT and Tyson also bond over fishing. So that's apparently what ja, where, how JT makes drinking buddies. He just goes fishing with them, and apparently the charm turns on, and they all fall in love with him. So that's his little MO. But all right, what, about so the, go, what about the Exile Alliance? Shouldn't that be a thing, Mario? <laughs> yeah. yeah, when does that come into play? Yeah. When does that pay off? Funny they, you mention they, that. They've had a yeah. lot. Yeah, Taj even mentions it right here. She's like, I'm worried no one's talking about the Exile Alliance. And that's really about it. I wrote my notes. Well, so much for that. Thanks for building that up for seven episodes. The, the most fun thing about the Exile Island um, Alliance is that it makes me think of Exile Island, and it makes me think of season 12 of the show, which was called Survivor Panama Exile Island, featuring a fun tribe of the Kasaya tribe, which is way more fun than these people. You didn't name okay. anybody. You don't get any bingo points for that. We, we've gotten bingo like 85 times over. What, what if we won? Like, <laughs> do we have like we McDonald's stop. gift we cards? Skip, like, what, we get to skip this on? episode. We don't have to talk about it. I've been winning bingo for 30 years. There we're we like, go, Brucey. There we go. Like just just, fil- done, just filter those bingo cards through a t-shirt and 99% of your winnings will still you know, filter through. <laughs> yeah, but Paul, yes. we've, we've almost gotten through this episode, so joke's on us. Right. <laughs> Look, we're the one that how we volunteered to talk about token chains. The joke was on us to start, so whatever. Hey, Mario, coach, coach token chains. Okay. You remember that time when Coach had the hair tie? That was awesome. Like, I like that one scene where he's like, "Here, here's a hair tie for you, Coach," and it's really cool. I like it. I'm glad you like it. I'm really glad. Mike, can you take Jay when you leave, please? <laughs> we're not a package deal. <laughs> Okay, so here we go. So no, yeah, this Mike, is where no, Mike can't take me because Mike Mike is popular and gets ratings. So you know, <laughs> no, but I don't have the, I don't have the silky smooth voice. So all I can be the 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 head and you be the mouth. Oh, will we have to be slayed at some point? <laughs> That's true. No, uh, that makes who's the bowel movement then? I don't want to come right out and say Paul, but okay. Oh, Get my beer bottle ready. Yeah, Pillings, Montana is the is the dragon bowel movement of the country. I am they, I am not a piece of crap, and I'm going to prove it to you right now. They took our job. All right, so we all just bash each other for a little bit there. Okay, that's good. Yeah, but but here's the thing: is that Christina Aguilera still will come to my hometown? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, is there like a big like "Do not serve this person" picture on the sign for Billings, Montana, with Christina Aguilera's headshot? <laughs> This is a screenshot of her singing that I'm a genie in a bottle. Do not accept checks from this person. (laughs) (laughs) Survivor token genes. Yeah, Um, great season. All right. So anyway, yeah, so Tyson is starting to get super cocky. This is He hasn't really been super cocky, just kind of been a little little bit of an asshole in his confessionals. But this is where he starts to get super cocky. Like, it's funny that people remember 
coach as being the big villain of the season, but Tyson really takes the cake in some of these confessionals about, hey, I'm smarter than Brendan. We're going to get him to go. It's going to be awesome. He's going to cry. I'm going to love it. Like Tyson really starts up in the douche factor here. And with that, I think we're going right into the episode eight immunity challenge. This is where they hold on to the pole for as long as you can. Yes, the Twilight Tanner Memorial Challenge. <clears throat> Bingo. Well done. Nice work. Yeah, so everyone's up on their little totem pole, and they sit there for as long as they can, and that's about it. That's about all that goes on. So, yeah. yeah, it's one of those challenges Survivor loves to do, but there's really not much to say about it. It's just people holding on to wood. Well, the, so there's a few questions about this. Uh, we noticed that Jeff only really notices Joe's leg when he just happens to, like, glance at him sitting on the bench. I mean... Jeff gets, you know, especially as an executive producer, he gets ruminations of what's going on, I'm assuming, behind the scenes. Do we think this was staged at all? Do we think Jeff really knew about Joe's leg and decided this was the moment to pull him? Or did he just happen a glance upon Joe in that moment, and there's a chance that maybe Joe could have gone on and possibly died because Jeff didn't pay attention to it? Yeah, that's an interesting question, and I was wondering that myself. It's like he just noticed it for the first time. Hey, look at that. Let me look at your inseam, sailor. Yeah, I don't know. That's the first time he noticed his leg. It was weird. I'm not sure how much planning was in that or how much info he had. Nobody else has any comments. I called up Renee Seiler, but she's also given up on this season. So <laughs> she said, I'll see you in Samoa. Yeah, there's no there's no uh, exit interviews, no secret scenes of people doing laundry. <laughs> she's too busy writing her next email about Cook Islands. All right. So, yeah. So uh, the final two in this challenge is uh, Debbie versus Tyson. And then it's all Timbira's at the end. Debbie falls and Tyson wins first individual immunity. Although there's a great matters. It matters. Great. Yeah, because Tyson was in big danger this episode. But uh, there's a great moment at the end where, you know, Tyson's, you know, leaning back from the pole and wobbling. And Aaron's like, don't fall, Tyson. And he's like, don't boss me around, lady. Which is just it's one of my favorite Tyson quotes. But but then but then Aaron replies, I just don't want you to fall and break your pretty face and try to Tyson just deadpans. Yeah, that's true. It is my moneymaker. And it does it gets a crack out of Jeff Probst, which I feel like is rare. It does, yeah. People again, Tyson very funny, and Aaron very funny. They they have a good rapport. Alright, so yeah, so uh Tyson wins immunity and after everyone goes back there leave to go back to camp, Probe says, uh, Joe, you stay here. I'd like to look more at your leg, buddy. And uh so the medical comes in and they're gonna check him out and uh do do we actually see the doctors yank Joe, or is it just implied? I kind of forget it. In my notes, I just wrote that they said the infection's close to the bone. It's looking very dangerous. Do they actually mention they're going to pull him? No, I think it's kind of like they leave it as a cliffhanger. Yeah, it's it's a huge cliffhanger. That's the big cliffhanger in the middle of the season. Will Joe be medevaced? All right, so yeah, Tyson has a good quote here where you go back to camp. And again, Tyson's just upping the stake on these douchey confessionals where he says, you know, in the challenge, I kicked ass like I usual, like usual. If any ladies want my phone number, I guess, uh, ask. <laughs> I love that confession. It's one of my favorites. Uh, he, has, he has so many good ones here because this is when we get to, you know, lying to everybody, especially Brennan Sierra actually brings me pleasure. Uh, Sierra, I have no idea why she's out here except to give hope to stupid people around the world. <laughs> and it culminates with him talking about Brendan, saying, you know, we, we smile at each other, we hug, I've kissed him on the neck softly, he's felt my warm, steamy breath on the nape of his neck, even on the small of his back. But you know, as the old adage goes, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. That That's right, right? Yes. That's old Mormon scripture that only Tyson knows. That, that ladies, if you want my phone number, ask. Like, it, it's such a... 
I think like one time in one of his random monologues when when he used to have his late night show, David Letterman like had some joke and it was one of those, you know, Letterman was always a a, a pro at like hitting it, like hitting a joke and the audience sort of laughs at it. And then he'll like sort of milk the joke and get everyone to kind of laugh at him and, and, you know, sort of take something that's bombing or something that isn't, you know, doesn't go over quite well and like sell it really, really hard. And he sort of did that with a joke like he did it and it's sort of it's sort of half landed. And then he sort of like, you know, did his David Letterman thing and then it kind of goes and then he kind of stops and he turns to Paul Schaefer and he says, yeah, Paul, you, you either got it or you don't. <laughs> and I uh, I do. So, you know, and you just you know, it's it just a fun little turn. So I just like that. If you, if you want my number, I have to just ask. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's funny because a lot of people, you know, they criticize some of the funnier confessional givers over the years, like Rob Sesternino. I hear this a lot. Oh, his his stuff was so rehearsed. It sounded like he'd been rehearsing his jokes. Like that line by Tyson doesn't sound rehearsed. It just sounds like he's doing some wordplay. He kind of screws up the wording of that joke. It's almost like a Mitch Hedberg, like, please alphabetize it. Just ask. Yeah. Like, it's it's not the way you'd phrase it, but it's just funny because it, it, you can tell it, the, the line amuses Tyson. He's just amused by wordplay. Yeah. And it's just kind of a funny little moment. I just like a, a comedian coming up with a joke on the spot, and he thinks it's funny. Well, that's the thing is that, like, even in that, that quote I meant before about him and Brendan, like, you could see Tyson crack a smile when he's starting to talk about, like, the nape of his neck. And it's totally what you said, Mario. It's him, like almost cracking himself up as he's coming up with the joke, which, again, just shows the spontaneity of it all. Yeah, absolutely. Like when you hear later that Tyson became big on podcasts and people like seeing him in interviews, like he's quick on his feet, you can just see it in his confessionals. That's the type of person that's good on their feet and good in podcasts, unlike any of us. We're not very good at it. But someone like Tyson, yeah, he's he can just do wordplay crafting on the spot like that. All right, so we get the scene where, you know, they're all going to take out Brendan and JT and Steven have a little moment here where they're saying, should we join Tambir? Should we really go through with this and join them? And and then uh, Steven even sees a little glint in JT's eyes he doesn't really trust. And Steven's like, promise me you'll turn on them later, JT. Promise me. And JT's like, oh, of course, I'm going to turn on them later. But I think Steven, a little foreshadowing here, you can even kind of see that I'm with JT, but maybe JT might not have my back all the way to the end. So it's it's... It's just one of those things. Just a little foreshadowing thing you see right there. It's not going to pay off right away, though. And it, it should also be mentioned that uh, the Timberas, or at least Brendan and Sierra and Aaron, are under the impression that they're all going to vote out JT because uh, they think, like, oh, we can swing Steven and Taj over and JT's pretty strong. This is before Brendan falls in love with JT. We're still one episode away from it. But it's interesting to think about. This is maybe the only time in the entire game that JT might ever be in trouble and have a chance of his name be brought up. Yep. Okay, and I got I have a little beef here I got to bring up here. I'm, I love what the editors do for the most part in Survivor. I'm always writing about editors, little things they do to make the episodes better. There's a choice that they made in this episode that I cannot stand, and it's one of those beefs that I have with where Survivor would go in later seasons after this, where the pacing of this episode is off. Like, Joe has already been evacuated, but there's still... 10 minutes left in the episode and so now we're just going to go 10 minutes of everyone talking about vote splitting oh we're going to do this oh we're going to split it we're going to split it between sierra and brendan they just go to all these different people and they talk about strategy and how they're going to split the votes 
And none of this will make one iota of difference in this episode because it's going to end, end with Joe in a medevac. And it's one of those things that just galls me when I watch this episode. Like, I, what? I thought of you the whole time, Mario, as this is going on. And what I thought about is, you know, I think back to this. This uh, I think definitely during this time we see the shift in the focus of Survivor and what they do with extra time on the show. Because I think back to that Thailand episode, Aaron's Boot that a lot of people complain about, but you always point to as such a great episode because you get to learn so much about these people. Yeah. It's like a similar type, or this could be that kind of episode. We get all this time with these people, and it's like 50% vote split, 25% we love JT, and 25% um, alliance building. <laughs> like There's like nothing about these people. Tell me, Please tell me I'm not alone in this being one of the most brutal stretches of the season. And I've Just always said this episode was like, if I always point to like, what's a brutal episode, I always say this one in particular. So this is brutal. Like I said, I think it's it. next episode's a little bit better and we move into a better stretch to finish off the season, but it is rough. I have to say, as someone who loves Survivor, old and modern, this is a rough episode. I mean, it's, it's no Cook Islands pre-merge, but I don't disagree. But what I'll counter with is what would be a better way to plot out this episode? Is it to save the immunity challenge for the very end and end with Joe getting evacuated? Or is it to just, instead of doing this alliance stuff, to just spend a bunch of time getting to know these people before Jeff comes to the camp? Yeah, I would say, I mean, to me, the answer is obvious. I don't know. I guess there's a debate on this. But like, to me, the answer would be do way more scenes of them first merging, <clears throat> everyone interacting with each other, learning what they're like, each other's like, and all character scenes and stuff like that. Move the immunity challenge at the end of the episode, have Joe get medevaced right then, and just you know, there was probably a couple hours between when he got medevaced and when everyone got told about it. Just truncate that, cut it out of the episode because it doesn't mean shit anyway. That's what I would have do. That's what I would have done. It's just show it's more so coach. Yeah, more show coach. Show more coach. coach. Well, it's 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 tough. It's I I can totally understand where you're coming from. It's just a, I think it's an awkward position because I feel like when you have like Scoop and Medivacs or Bruce Medivacs, when there's a reward challenge, but there doesn't need to be an immunity challenge because of what happened, I feel like you have more room to play. I think the awkward situation comes when you get this medevac or you get, like, here's some more things for your bingo cards for the future. Julie McGee's quit in Samon del Sur or Neil getting evacuated in Koh Rong where, like, there's an immunity challenge, but there's no tribal council. That's a really awkward playing space. And while I agree that this isn't maybe the most optimal way to use things, I kind of feel for the editors here. I, I do in a sense, but I also get the sense they think the audience wants that, this kind of stuff. And that's what really galls me, because it's, it's been one of my longstanding beliefs that Survivor eventually kind of turns into sports radio at a certain point, where after the episode, everyone can go onto their favorite podcast or message board and talk about strategy. Who should have done this? Why did they do this? Like It becomes like a sports radio after on Monday after a football game, and my dad used to listen to that, and it drove me absolutely up the wall because it's just everyone Monday morning quarterbacking. And so I always get the sense the producers and the editors want their show to be like this. They want people to discuss the strategy. What should have this person done? What should have this person done? So it's really this, this is the kind of scene that just really galls me because there's no need for it whatsoever except just that master between sense where the fans could just talk about strategy afterwards. Oh, I've shut everyone up again. Let's, get to, a co- let's get to a coach moment. Yeah, there's a coach scene coming up. <laughs> there's this, right. this is a really big, like, Michael Scott-esque moment here. Which one? We haven't even finished that episode yet. Well, it's where he... Oh, uh, put he, it out of its misery, please. <laughs> okay. 
it's where he's under the umbrella and he's talking about going fishing with JT and he just goes, I have no patience just sitting around with my rod in my hand with no bite. And then he just waits a moment. He's like, hey, hey, Debbie, did you get that? Did you get what I said? And she's like, yeah, I got it, coach. It's just, again, a really small moment, but it shows how everyone's so fed up with his bullshit at this point, including coaches' bad attempts at sexual innuendos. Did you hear me say Dragon Slayer? Did you hear me say a jerk-off joke? Did you hear me? All right. Yeah, so they, they're all sitting in the shelter. <laughs> I, I don't remember that scene. I guess I skipped through it on this rewatch, so I'm very pleased you brought that up. All right, so yeah, so uh, Joe gets medevaced, and they're all in the shelter, and it's raining, and Jeff says, yeah, well, uh, Joe's not going to come back. He's gone. They're like, oh, that sucks. And that's it. That's the end of the episode. And Tyson's like, man, we had it all lined up to get Brendan out. Now he's going to get a chance to scramble and save himself and now play his idols. So, so much for that. So I guess we'll never get Brendan out of here. And now let's go to the Brendan episode. Actually, anything to say about Joe, anybody? Nope. Bye, Brosif. Yeah, this isn't Joe from Worlds Apart. This, is, this isn't this is Joey Amazing. So just making sure we know this is the first Joe. Brosif, is, yeah. Yeah, there will be no other Joes that become a fan favorite in the rest of the game. These poor Spencers and Joes that just get completely overshadowed by people in the 30s who, uh, or in the 20s who end up, you know, becoming more famous than they are. <laughs> because Joe was clearly on the way to becoming the big fan favorite. And then we got Brendan. Brendan gets overshadowed by the uh, Brandon Hans of it all. <laughs> but not Brandon Quinton, remember? Because he was good, too, back in Africa season three. Yeah, I think Joe, at least in the first 20 seasons of the show, I mean, there's going to be a brutal stretch, you know, getting way later. But I think Joe is the answer to the trivia question of, can you name everyone that got medevac from the game? Like, I think he's the one that you're like, uh, I'm missing one. Which one is it? Uh, him, him or is Papa it, Smurf? <laughs> is, is it just me or do Joe, Greg from Palau, and Michael from One World all have like the same face slash look? I think you're completely dead on. Yes. Very yes. set, very set jaw lines. And I remember Papa Smurf, by the way, because he was on a little something called... Does if you say uh, All Stars two, does that count as on the bingo board as like fake seasons or season not yet, uh, not yet happening? Like Melissa McNulty, she's a fake square as well. Yeah, the invisible squares on our bingo board. <laughs> all right, so we start to the next episode, and this is what I had talked about earlier in the podcast. Like everyone's all bummed that Joe got medevac. Like apparently he was super nice and they liked having him around. So it's like, if you remember that, I have five bucks for you, because no one remembers. Oh, yeah, Joe. It was a sad moment when he left. Everyone was all upset. So the tribe's sitting around, and they got, you know, they're, they're not feeling well. They're, they're not feeling good. It's a bad moment. Someone had to go home. You might lose a leg. So the good news is there's someone on the tribe who's going to cheer them up. Well, here's the thing, though, is that I initially thought that this was Coach cheering people up, but if you listen back to Coach's confessional, Coach decides to tell this story because he wants to remind people that no matter how bad things may be, there's a chance that they could get much worse. That's the complete opposite of telling people that things will get better. It's saying there's going to be something much worse inevitably coming your way. So is that just Coach screwing up the logic of a confessional? Yeah, he's saying, yeah. well, he started saying, like, I'll cheer you up by making sure that you realize how much more depressing things could possibly get. <laughs> there's... Okay, that reminds me. Totally uh, off the aside here. In the, movie, in the movie, there's something about Mary. There's a scene where Ben Stiller is asking Chris Elliott, what's married life like? And Chris Elliott says, every day is better than the next. 
which is a very subtle joke of him just saying that every day gets worse and worse and worse. So it's, I think that's it's just a kind of a, I read the Fairly Brothers saying that was kind of a funny little joke. We had him screw up the logic of the confessional, which is very much like Coach here. You had to throw out a movie. You just had to. You can throw beer bottles at it. Go to the video store. Yeah. Drive <laughs> you down throw to the out a movie, I throw back a beer bottle. Christina Aguilera was banned from the film. What I love, though, is that we, we, we mentioned like television shows. Now, Mystery Science Theater has a cult following. And MXC has a cult following, but it's really less. So, like, if you're going to, you know, nail us for something, you can nail us for, you know, mentioning MXC or something like that. Because not a whole ton of people watch that show. But then you're going to be like, oh, great. You referenced there's something about Mary, which was like the biggest movie of its of, of, of perhaps the year it came out. Yeah. So, Paul, what's your favorite Good episode point. of Brigsby Bear Adventures? Um, I like most of them, actually. <laughs> I'm telling you this, this, Paul, you can't phase Paul because I'm sure Paul has had this exact same conversation about every TV show to every person he's ever yeah. met. How do you the not most... know that? How do, how do you not know this thing? I just don't. I'm Paul. Or, or like if you ask him about a musical artist, yeah, I liked a lot of their later stuff. Well, you know, that, that movie was going to come to Montana, but then they said if they had to cut one uh, state to show uh, the movie in, they said Montana, so we threw beer bottles at the movie screen, so it never na- n- never came. So, so long story short, there are no more movie theaters in Billings, Montana. All the screens right. broke. I, I sort of want, I sort of now have this vision of Paul walking around with a guitar, and so then, like, someone references, like, Back to the Future or something, and he's like, what's that? And they're like, come on, you know, one of the biggest movies of all time? I don't know it. Anyway, here's Wonderwall. <laughs> you know, I like Back to the Future's later stuff. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, go back to Coach. You guys are overshadowing Coach. How dare you? I'm right, sorry. So- I'll shut up now. Microphone on mute. Oh, well, to be, to be fair, only only three people in the world knew Paul's Christina Aguilera story before <laughs> this podcast, much like yeah. Coach's story. All right, yeah. For those who don't remember the scene, I don't know how you could remember the scene, but if you've never seen Token Teens, Coach is going to sit down and tell the biggest whopper of a story that has ever been mentioned on Survivor, which is impressive even by Coach terms because he's going to have a lot of stories. But this is the famous Amazon story where he's going to sit down. Someone lied about their grandmother being dead, and yet here's the Coach Amazon story. Coach Amazon story. The grandma story is plausible. Grandmas die. That happens. All right, so uh, yeah, so Coach... He starts off, you know, again, this is around a campfire. Like he's telling a bunch of camp, like a summer camp people his story here. He's like, there are only three people in the world who know this story. And he basically tells this tale of how he went canoeing down in the Amazon once and he got military helicopters to drop him off. And how, you know, no one had ever done this before. And he went into some indigenous village where no one, no white man had ever been before or something. And I'm, I'm leaving out some details, perhaps. Maybe Coach, when we interview him, can correct me. But yeah, so he talks about how the indigenous people came out with bows and arrows, and they kidnapped him, and they tied him to a stake, and they took turns beating him with a club. And you know, he passed in and out of consciousness, and how we'll learn later at Tribal Council that they were there was discussions how they loved his ass. They were going to eat his ass. That was butt their plan. Stuff. Butt stuff. More butt stuff. It's Amazonian butt stuff. Yeah, at least this historian's podcast has named itself. <laughs> butt stuff. Butt stuff yeah. bingo. <laughs> Patricia Jackson does butt stuff. That's our time. <laughs> Nasty. Well, there are, there are a lot of little holes that we have in our bodies. So. <laughs> Name's Patricia. Miss Jackson, if you're nasty. Oh, uh, boy. Hey, Paul got that one. 
But there's also a really fun moment in this story where, like, Coach not only talks about, like, getting beat with a club, he says, sometimes he knocks out, sometimes my mind just went someplace else, which is, like, a weird, like, I don't know, does he go to, like, some sort of weird happy place in this fantasy that he's living out? It's like Happy Gilmore's little place with the beer and Shooter McGavin and stuff and the, the guy jumping around on a pogo stick. But, yeah, so, yeah, Coach tells this really long story, and he eventually escapes from the Amazonians, and he they come after him, try to kill him, and he paddles away, and he paddles so hard his hands blister, and he, he ends with... I just can't describe the feeling of being stalked by another human being. And that's the mic drop. He drops the mic basically and backs up and just waits for the response. And I don't know if you guys know, but man is the most dangerous game. (laughs) So coach is waiting for someone, something profound, someone to say something profound about his adventure of almost having his ass eaten by the Amazonian pygmies. And God bless Brendan. As we keep saying, Brendan is one of the greatest foils for coach. No one has anything to say about Coach's story until Brendan pipes in with, how much does it cost to get a military, military copter to drop you in? <laughs> Coach is like, well, that would be free because I pulled some strings. And you didn't even know it was up in Canada. You wouldn't even know. And I love how he says, oh, National Geographic like wanted to come with me. But I, I said, this is about me. I can't, I can't do that. I don't want to associate with the man. <laughs> National Geographic, no class. This, I, do, they do not, I do not accept them. But yeah. So this is the big coach story, and it's just a great shot of everyone looking at each other around the campfire, saying, you know, in their heads, saying, who is this jackass? What the, what the hell? Who gets kidnapped by Amazonian pygmies? <laughs> and, yeah, and so Brendan even says, yeah, I, I don't believe this guy's stories. I don't believe anything this guy says anymore. So it's kind of the fall of Coach being Mr. Honest and Noble. And again, who are we to say that this story didn't happen to Coach? I'm not one to cast aspersions on him, but... I love that he focuses, he focuses, though, at the very beginning. It's the whole, like, you know, how in the name of Zeus's butthole did you get out of your cell kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where he's just like, coach tells the story, and it's like, you could basically go like, so wait, you got kidnapped, so wait. And then you paddled you, you paddled away on the river that they all had, and that somehow was your escape. Like, none of these, like, focus on the actual thing. It was just the, oh, you got a, you got a military escort in, huh? Okay. Yeah. Plus, Mario, I think you're more so casting Aspersions than Aspersions. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. I think I used the wrong word. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, yeah. So, again, people don't like that Coach takes over the season. People don't like that we talk about him way too much. People don't like that I never shut up about him. Tell me that's not God's gift to TV, that scene on Survivor right there. I mean, I don't understand anyone who could not appreciate that scene because it's so ridiculous. And I don't even know if it's so not true, but it's clearly exaggerated to some extent. And maybe some of it's true. I don't know. I don't want to coach to sue us for libel here like Tommy Weezo or something. But yeah, so uh, I just say it's just uh, Tommy Weezo suits everybody who talks about the room. Ha ha ha. What, what a story, coach. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, how's your sex life, Mike? So anyway, yeah. So uh, that's the coach story. It's coach's most famous scene. But there's lots of ones that come close and we got more coming up. So here we go. More coach stuff. So the next morning, you know, Joe's big medevac was sad, and Coach cheered them up by saying, here's something that could be worse. You could get your ass eaten. And the next morning, there's just <laughs> we start with Coach down on the beach doing his little his little dragon chi, his little hitting his poses and stuff. Uh, it's called Chong Ran. Oh, don't spoil it. We're almost to that point. <laughs> all right, yeah. So, so there's a great shot of just Coach being all majestic, and then we just cut up and we watch the Brendan. You see it from Brendan's point of view, just this little figure down on the beach doing these dumb little poses. <laughs> this is a great scene. This is one of the more underrated little interchanges of the season where Debbie's like, what's he doing? And, Brend- and Brandon's like, uh, he's doing warrior poses. <laughs> and Debbie's like, oh, he likes to do that in the morning. 
<laughs> oh yeah, that's that's coach's morning ritual. And then <laughs> they start laughing, and Brendan's like, he's like a snake. Don't bother him, and he won't bother you. <laughs> oh god. Again, yeah. Don't talk about coach. Talk about token teams without coach. All right. So coach comes back up and and Brendan, of course, always there to needle coach. He's like, what the hell kind of martial arts are you doing? And coach is like, uh, it's uh, Chong Ran. You wouldn't know about it. You can't find it on the Internet. It's basically only Tibetan masters pass it down from from word to word. And so what's funny is when I originally wrote the funny 115, Coach says, you can't find it on the internet. And I'm like, bullshit, I can find it on the internet. And I found it on the internet, the little thing about Chong Ran, and I posted a link to it just to kind of undercut Coach. And now it look, made me look stupid because then the, the link went down a couple of years after that. So now it looks like I'm lying. So I did some research right before we recorded this episode about Chong Ran, C-H-O-N-G-G-R-A-N. There's two Gs. And I was looking, I found a, people on martial arts boards talking about it. I saw a, a uh, bodybuilding website, people were talking about it. And it's basically, they're saying, is this real? Or is this just some dumb martial art that people make up for movies? Because that's the reputation, that it gets mentioned in movies, but it's not a real thing. <clears throat> and one guy said, you know, I've studied martial arts all my life, and that there, it, it actually is a real thing. And he's like, but there's like one obscure little Tibetan monastery that does it. And it's like, they're the only people, and they will only pass it down from word to word. So... Maybe it's true there is a Chong Ran that is only known about by word to mouth, word to, uh, by word of mouth in Tibet. B, how the hell did Coach know about it? How how was he there to learn about this? So there's unanswered questions there, but yeah, that's my my history with Chong Ran and Coach's perhaps non-history. I don't know who knows. I'm sure he's aware of Chong Ran, whether he's actually lived in a monastery and been taught by this obscure sect that only passes it down to people they know and trust for thousands of years. I highly doubt it, but I don't know. Perhaps you guys have a differing opinions on that. Um, nope. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, Sierra's there to say, Coach, you looked hilarious when you were doing that. <laughs> Just everyone bagging you. Yeah, but coach. now, remember when Coach loved Sierra? Now she is officially the bowel movement of the dragon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Coach flips on a dime real quick. Coach, Brendan's the dragon. He's the head. I'm the dragon slayer, and... Sierra, she's the bowel movement that comes out of the dragon. So, there we go. Anyway, so we've had our coach preamble. Now let's go to reward challenge. Hey, another coach scene. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> All right. I'll let someone else talk about this and I'll pipe in later, but feel free. Go ahead. So this one is one of those uh, rare final nine challenges where they split into three teams of three. On paper, this one seems a little subpar. It's they uh, they each have a colored row of tiles, and essentially you have to throw balls to try to break the other team's tiles. Whichever team has any sort of tiles remaining, while the other two have none, wins. But of course, due to in part to coach, this is going to become a very memorable challenge. <laughs> you know, there's a lot going on in this challenge besides just the quote. There's some really funny stuff, side side stories going on here. Okay. So yeah, so they all break down into three teams. They're going to be throwing these balls underhanded at tiles. And the reward for this one is whitewater rafting. They'll literally be kayaking down a world-class rapids, which if you know anything about Coach, this is where he actually orgasms. 
because that's what he does for a living. He is a professional kayaker. He's set world records. He's kayaked through the Amazon. He's had his ass eaten. He's done all the stuff. And the reward is literally what he does for a living. <laughs> There's a great moment where the, the reward will be whitewater rafting. A coach leans back and lets loose the biggest grin of joy I've ever seen. And it's hilarious because there's a picture of Stephen Fish back over his shoulders looking like, eh, I don't know if I'm going to get hurt if I do that. <laughs> it's, really it's, on, it's on par with the, you know, Bob's reaction to the, to the Spice Garden or whatever. Yeah, I was going to say, I love how we're, we're knowing like certain, uh, certain things that really trigger Survivor players. For Bob Crowley, it's vegetable spice gardens. For Coach, it's the idea of white water rafting. <laughs> it's funny. That, like, the editors have just been toying with Coach, and the producers have been messing with him and just making him look like shit in every episode. And I just love They literally give him a white water rafting challenge that he's playing for, and he leans back, Yes! And I just, all I can think of is that line in Galaxy Quest where uh, Alan Rickman says about Tim Allen, it's like throwing gasoline on a fire. <laughs> it's like they literally give Coach the one thing he's living for. And if they need a whitewater rafting guide, we know who to turn from from season one. Jervis. Right. Jervis. <laughs> Jervis. Because, Kelly, you sucked on that day. <laughs> you got two. You got a little subtle Kelly extra point in there. Well done. You got two. All right, so yeah, so the three teams are basically the black team is Debbie, Brendan, and JT. The red team is Tyson, Taj, and Coach. And the white team, the hapless-looking Steven, Sierra, and Aaron, who are probably not going to win this challenge. So anyway, there's <laughs> so many great moments in the scene. The big one I'm about to mention is where one of, and again, every time I mention a Coach scene, I'm like, this is one of Coach's greatest moments. But here we go with another one. This also was one of Coach's greatest moments where... where uh, Everyone's grouping up on the gaming up on the the black team, the the team with Brendan and JT. Everyone's trying to get their tiles out, and at one point they're just blatantly all trying to get out the black tiles, you know, the the black team's tiles. And JT's like, "Why is everyone going after our team?" And Aaron's like, "Well, you the teams are a little stacked. I think you guys have all the big players." And Brendan's all incredulous. He's like, "We're throwing underhand, breaking tiles. None of us have ever done this in our lives." And Coach, with perfect timing, raises his hand and says, I have. <laughs> it's one of the preeminent Coach moments. It really sums up Coach in just two words, I have. That's all you have to say. People who know this season know, know exactly what they're talking about. It's just Coach having to one-up everybody on everything. Brags that no, no one else has done it, but I have. I have thrown tiles underhand, balls underhanded tiles. That's probably on his family crest, right? It's the motto of House Wade, I have. <laughs> Yes, I did it with the uh, the Ming Dynasty back in fourteen or whatever. I just think like Coach just like strikes a nerve with so many people, and why he was such a big deal, and why I can re- kind of really respect what he brings to the show is because he's just like this inflated version of someone that everyone knows, everyone went to school with, everyone knows that person that like in class if someone said something that Brendan said that there would be that one smartass in the class. Or, you know, delusional person in the class who would say, like, oh, I've done this before. And you just want to, like, ring him by the neck. This just sums it up perfectly how aggravating it would have been to be out there with Coach. Oh, yeah. It's it's Penelope from SNL. Yes, it's, totally. It, actually, I've been whitewater rafting. I've actually uh, created whitewaters. I'm, uh, I'm actually a water god. I'm waterbender from your avatar. Yes. I'm Poseidon. I live underwater. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, this, okay, I'll give a little side story here. I got to meet Coach a couple of years ago after Token Chains, and I'd written stuff about the Funny 115. I've written all these articles about him, and I got to meet him at a, a fan event, and I thought he was going to punch me. I'm like, this guy, I've written so much stuff about this guy, he's going to hit me, but he loves his entries. He loves anytime you write about him. 
And so I asked Imagine him. Imagine like, that. I know. It's funny how that works. So anyway, I asked him. I'm like, I got to ask you about one thing that I have seen. And Coach just starts laughing because he knows where we're going. And I'm like, what the hell is up with that underhand? Why are you bragging about throwing things underhand at tiles? He's like, okay, here's here's the story behind that. And he gives me the story here. And it's actually pretty good. He's like, before I went out there, I read, you know, a strategy guide on how to get along with people, how to, you know, interact in groups. And one of the things is, he said, you never admit you don't know how to do something. If someone says, does anybody know how to do this? You always say, oh yeah, I do. I know how to do that. It just, what? you don't appear weak. That's what he says. I mean, this is the story. I'm giving you word for word. Okay. He's like, so... That's the thing. It's like you, you never admit weakness. You never admit fault. You always say, yeah, I, I have some working knowledge in that. I, so you never appear weak or anything. And he goes, that tile thing was one that just kind of slipped out of my mouth. He's like, it was – I probably shouldn't have said it there, but that was just my training. If somebody asks if you've done something, you always say you have. And it just kind of came out of my mouth, and he's like, that sounded ridiculous. So that was his explanation. He's like, admittedly, I probably should not have admitted that I had thrown underhand things to tiles when I pro- I really hadn't done that. So that was his explanation again. If we can get coach for an interview, I will bring that up again and see if we get the same story. That's classic lie detector test behavior. But that was his explanation at the time. For any any children that might happen to be listening out there, that's not a way to move forward with life. Please, <laughs> if you don't know how to do things, you should be upfront about that. Please don't pretend that you know how to do things because that's what causes you to try to fly a plane in the middle of a storm. <laughs> It's like, yes, just, you know, be like Joey uh, from Friends. Say that you can speak French on your uh, resume. Say you can do everything, and that never will get you into trouble. Ooh, that's on Paul's bingo list about the number of the shows that he's watched. <laughs> yeah, that's a secret like side bingo going, and me, man- me mentioning a bunch of shows that I've actually watched. A bingo grid is like 30 squares, though. Counting the free space, that's 29 shows, like... There's 23 blanks on Paul's thing, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I really loved Co- Friends' later work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when everyone's dating each other. But yeah, no, Coach's bingo board is like 500 by 500, Jay. You don't realize his is a little bigger than everyone else, a little better. Yeah, but, but then you have to knock out tiles by throwing balls underhand at them. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I need to point out that Survivor Historians is the one Survivor podcast out there that prevents children from dying in a plane crash in a storm. So well done, Mike. You've saved lives today. Saving hearts and minds. All right, so there's that's the scene that's really the classic in this, but there's more stuff going on here that I, I didn't even remember until I was watching it today, where there's still the matter of Coach really wants that whitewater raft river, the, the reward. And what's funny is, you know, they're all trying to knock out each other's tiles, and the person who eventually knocks Coach's team out of the competition is Aaron, of all people. And she knocks Coach's tile out, and the red team is out, and they're not going to get rid of the reward. <clears throat> and Aaron has the biggest shit-eating grin on her face. She's so happy. And she does this little dance with a big grin on her face as she's looking over to Coach that she just knocked him out of his whitewater reward challenge. And he is furious. He's like, damn it! And he, like, gets all mad. And there's this great shot all throughout the rest of the challenge we're going to see of Coach literally pouting on the bench, sitting down, fist on his cheek, big pouty lip looking down because everyone's going to kayak and he's not invited. And it's one of the great underrated Coach moments, just shot after shot of Coach mad because Dad won't buy him a pony. You got, uh, we get to the end of the challenge here. It's basically the black team against the white team. And uh, the black team wins reward, which is the stack team, the JT, Brandon, and Debbie. And they are going to go whitewater rafting and not coach. We still have to send someone to exile, though. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So, yeah, JT, uh, Debbie, Brandon. Let's make this even more interesting. Let's send (laughs) someone to Exile Island. That's how you spice up a show. (laughs) 
All right. So yeah, so JT, Debbie, and Brendan get to send someone to exile. They send Steven. And of course, Coach has to horn his way into Steven's little journey here where Coach, where Steven gets picked to go to exile. And Steven, Coach gives him advice where Coach says, be the wizard, Steven, be the wizard. And he gives him a little fist bump. And there you go. Coach gets to horn in his way onto Steven's, uh, Steven's journey. So nice job, Coach. I can only assume that Coach was urging Steven to uh, be a little Ben Savage and be like a video game prodigy, right? <laughs> That's exactly what he was talking about right there. Oh my god, like, I love that movie. Harness your in, in your Nintendo power gloves, Steven. I mean, that movie is terrible, and yet I love it. So good. So bad it's good. We're not playing movie bingo. Stop it. <laughs> you get that, Topanga. You go. There's, right. a, there's also a really... I, I'd be, I don't want to keep adding on to I the mean, Coach of Dead I mean, it's Fred Savage, here. not Ben Savage, but, you know, we're going to go with it. Well, I thought, Fred Savage, oh, yeah, Fred, I thought Fred Savage was the older brother, and Ben Savage played the little brother. I heard Ben Savage. I heard distinctly heard of Ben Savage mentioned by Mike, so you blame him for that mistake there. Um, well, I looked this up because I know that this is the thing that really requires the most fact checking. I do love this one moment where, like you said, Coach is so pouty that he forgets that he, you know, when, in some of these team challenges they wear like bandanas to show uh, everyone what what team they're on. Coach still has his like red bandana t- tied around his arm, and Jeff has to stop Coach to be like, "By the way, you can't walk up with that prop. Please leave it behind." And Coach is like, <laughs> "I'm sorry, I was just so mad that I couldn't go whitewater whitewater rafting." Let's go into Elizabeth Glazer. Give that back, Coach. Coach's like, I was so pissed. <laughs> Tyson's over there smashing pigs still. <laughs> Fuck you, pigs. All right, so uh, Stephen goes to Exile Island for the first time. And this is the first time someone's been to Exile all by themselves, and he has to learn how to light fire. He's never done that. And we get a nice little scene where Stephen thinks he's going to die, and he finally lights the fire, and it's a big moment for him. So it's, it's a good little Stephen moment here, and he's like, it's like giving birth to my first child. By the way, I was wrong. It was it's. It, I thought Ben Savage was the little brother in uh, the Wizard. It was Luke Edwards, I believe. Oh, thank God you cleared that up, Mike. Thanks. Now I can focus. <laughs> Pretty sure Luke Edwards was the kid in Little Big League, though. Let's just name another movie. Paul wouldn't know. All right, I know that's correct. You're gonna look it up. And you'll be all amazed. All right, so uh, let's see. We go uh, on the ri- whitewater river river rafting reward. That's hard to say. Here we go. This is another JT. This is I just circled this in about six different ways here. <sighs> JT winner edit in my notes, yeah. So JT is going on the river raft, and he's just all eager and excited and happy, and he loves it. And he just they keep cutting to his face with a smile. And Brendan even says, you know, I really like how open JT is with the world. He's just a good old dude. He loves stuff. He's very honest. And I would like to see JT win. And this is where they're just going to start building up JT as like the most amazing social golden god in Survivor history. And Brendan even says, I'm starting to rethink my plans here. That if I get to the end of the game, all I want is for me to be satisfied with the ending. So if JT wins, I'm cool with that. That's an optimal ending for me. Like, what? Then Brendan's going to proceed to sit up all night, apparently, trying to figure out how to take JT to the finals. He then approaches Sierra, who you think might say, hey... We don't, like, let's focus on us getting to the finals. But Sierra replies with, oh, no, JT's one of the most amazing people I've ever met in my life. Like, what is in the Rio Novo? Is it Kool-Aid at this point? Because what, how is this happening? Yeah, I can just picture Brendan all night with a little Brant Steel simulator trying to figure out little scenarios. How do I get JT to the end? Brant Steel, bingo. There you go, Brant Steel. It's a whole different card. So, yeah, so JT is just getting this huge winner's edit right now, which, again, should be obvious, but since they're in the minority, as you were watching this at the time, 
you're probably thinking, oh, he's not going to get to the end. He'll, he'll, he'll be that final three guy who gets so close and gets voted out of the end because he's way too popular because there's no way he's going to win with the numbers he's in. But yeah, he's just getting this the most obnoxiously positive winners that anybody anybody has ever had right now. So uh, there's a great quote here where, where yeah, Brendan is trying to flip it around on Coach, and Coach and all of them are trying to flip around on Brendan. And Taj, of course, other great Taj quotes. He says, I think the word Timbira must mean confused. She's like, they're up six to three, and they only want to blindside each other. <laughs> it's like we don't even have to do anything. All right, here we go. Episode nine, Immunity Challenge. This is the one where they have to fling themselves through this big wooden obstacle course. That with those, There's like a rope. They're tied to a rope, and they have to get through all these obstacles. And this is one of those that always looks very painful because people are flipping and flopping all over the place. And uh, unless you guys have anything to add, I'll just skip right forward and say JT is like a madman. He flings himself through this. But in the end, Tyson wins for the second time in a row. I, I want to point out a fantastic moment by Jeff here, considering that I'm assuming he heard about all the coach bragging. Uh, there's one point where Jeff says, Coach is frustrated. Nothing prepared him for the rope-a-dope. That's good. I forgot about that yet. Yeah, Probst is right in. He's all in on the coach bashing as well. All right, so yeah, with Tyson immune, again, doesn't mean anything, but now the big showdown is going to come. This is the one we were hoping for last episode where to see if they can all turn and take out Brendan who is, again, the most powerful and probably most popular player in the game? Or will Brendan and all them and Taj flip it around and get Coach out because they've kind of figured out the plan by now and they want Coach out of there? So it's really going to be Brendan or Coach tonight. And uh, Tyson, another great Tyson quote, he says, uh, you know, it's going to be Brendan or Sierra tonight. He goes, I'd love three days of bossing Sierra and telling her to shut up. It wouldn't win, her, win me her vote, but it might win me everyone else's vote. So he's all excited if they get Brendan out. Then he, then Sierra's little bodyguard isn't around. He can just bash on Sierra for three days. So he's very excited about this. It's basically the uh, social equivalent of smashing pigs. That that's his plan to, for Sierra the next three days after this. All right, yeah. So this is where the 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 Exile Island of the Exile Island Alliance really starts to rise up again. Where Brendan starts to resurrect it. He goes to Taj, and they go to JT and Steven. And so it's really. JT and Steven are kind of in the middle here. Should we go with the Exile Alliance or should we go with the Warrior Alliance, Coaches Alliance? They're kind of caught in the middle, and it will be this way for a lot of the game pretty much from here on out. But is this the last stand of the Exile Alliance? It's weird because... Or the only stand? Yeah, I, I guess so, because it literally just came to fruition. But it's weird because I remember back in like episode six or so, Taja and Steven say, okay, we'll show JT the idol, but we won't tell him about the Exile Alliance. So I guess you have to assume that at some point in the past several days, they told JT everything that happened, and JT was just sort of okay with it. Otherwise, they're just sort of saying, hey, we should go with Brennan and Sierra for no reason in particular. It's not like anything happened out there, but we might want to go with them. But this really is the biggest showdown of the season. It will really determine the rest of where the storyline is going from here. Will it be Brendan or will it be Coach? And uh, Coach, of course, weighs in because he's got an opinion. He's like, tonight we find out who the chosen one really was, dot, dot, dot. And he says, it's Coach Wade. <laughs> so Coach has already determined the ending of this episode. So it's, it's good that it actually works out since he's already written it. All right, so let's go to Tribal Council. Again, this is the first time in really four episodes that something monumental is going to happen in this game. So it's nice we have some kind of stake, something at stake here. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's, that was a good you know, good side. It takes uh, eight episodes, eight Tribal Councils for something interesting to happen. <laughs> Speaking of something at stake, let's talk about Coach's story. I know. <laughs> I just, I'm looking at my notes. I'm like, oh, my God, we got another Coach scene here. Okay, so Probst, of course. 
It's like throwing gasoline on a fire again. Propes is asking about all the people in camp, and Propes is like, who here tells the best campfire story? Oh <laughs> like, I mean, I just picture eight people, everyone but Coach, drinking water and spitting water out their nose when that question comes up. <laughs> oh, let me guess. It's Coach. So they they start telling uh, the story about Coach's Amazon story. They're going to relay it to Probes. And Probes, the big old grin on his face is like, are you kidding me? I'm going to get to hear the Amazon story? Well, the, the thing so- about this is that, like, now I kind of wish – you mentioned Nathan Fielder before, Mario. But now I kind of wish that Nathan Fielder would host something like Survivor because Probes – I mean, you could see the reaction on his face, specifically in his eyes. It's – very akin to, like, the double take he does upon Billy saying he fell in love with Candace back in Cook Islands. Like, mm-hmm. this completely plays as, like, this is going to be insane. Nathan Fielder would just completely internalize everything because people have told so much crazy shit to him very similar to this story that it'd be interesting to see him be like, um, okay, uh, JT, what did you what did you think about the ass eating? <laughs> yes. <laughs> When they started eating your ass, which part did they chew on? Was it the dark meat, or did they go higher up into the white meat? <laughs> Just totally deadpan. Yeah, so Coach starts telling the story, and Probst is laughing, and Coach is like, you know, people might not believe it, but I actually gave them the PG version. I toned it down. I left out all the stuff about them wanting to eat my ass. I'm like, Probst is just openly laughing. He's like, wait, what? So <laughs> much butt stuff. What is know. this? It's That's the, the double quote. down. It's there the double go. down. But then it's followed up by, like, by coach saying, well, that's just part of the five, six, seven, eight life or death situations that I've been in. Yeah, and probes, of course. Five, six, seven, or eight life or death situations? <laughs> it's great. Coach is like, yeah, I got a bee sting, paper cut. One time I had mono. Had a... <laughs> <laughs> Specifically, I had a run-in with a crocodile. As if he, like, met it outside a bar or something, and it was giving him the stink eye. I had a run-in with a crocodile. It ate my hand. And now every time I hear a clock, I, I fear. Oh, wait, thought, is that me? Was that, is that someone else? Is it... I thought you were going Chubbs Peterson there. You went for Captain Hook. <laughs> All right, so, yeah, so... Coach is going to double down on the story. He's not backing down. Probes is openly laughing at the five, seven or eight life or death situations. And, and then there's a great moment later in Tribal Council where, uh, what is it? Uh, <laughs> Probes, uh, Coach is talking about how a man is defined by how he goes down in the field of battle. And Coach starts talking about Viking mythology. He's like, seven you know, the seven of layers of heaven for the Vikings, Jeff. They're built on how a man was defeated in battle. And Co- Probe's like, okay. So JT and Probe's, and Coach just keeps going. Coach's like, so anyway, the first level, and Probe's like, yes, yes, Coach. Well, remember <laughs> that about in about like 10 days from now, Coach is going to come to Tribal Council with a poem. So I feel like this is not outside of the limit of possibilities. Yeah. And again, I have to defend Coach a little bit. I mean... People will say he's just a of course you do. Of people, course people, you do. Most of them, people will say he's just he's playing a character, he's trying to get airtime. I don't think he is. I think this is just what he's like. That's the thing. That's, people always say he's just doing shtick for the cameras, and I, I've never thought he was. I really thought this is just how he thinks, and he's just a weird, eccentric dude with all these notions of gods and thoughts and mythology and everything. And like, I don't think he's playing to the cameras at all in some of these things. That's why I think he's so fun. Like, I don't think it's shtick at all. And maybe some people would disagree with me, but I've always thought this is the really authentic what Coach was like at that point in his life there before he was on TV, and he saw how TV responded to him and how an audience responded to him. But it's just so glorious to see the coachness. He's just odd, just an odd dude. You guys going to let me get away with that by the single rebuttal? Wow. 
Our bingo cards are filled up. We're all satisfied. <laughs> um, Bre- okay. Brendan says he has the idol, but then he still gets voted off. Yeah. Bye, Brendan. Although we do, of course. Bye, Brendan. Coach gets his little voting comment in. You, my friend, are the dragon, and I am the dragon slayer. And then he like hits himself up in the chest or something like that. It's a good... It's Coach's big moment, and he will be referring to this later for the whole season. He also says, the ancient samurai used to say that to win the battle, you're going to have to cut the head off the dragon. No, they didn't! No, <laughs> when? <laughs> what, what, are you, what are you talking about? That was in Chong Ran. That's a separate version of hit mythology that only that you can't find on the internet. Oh yeah, I do, I do like the, the ancient samurai used to say, as if there was like well, four of them. <laughs> And sit around the campfire and tell stories. Which one? Oh, uh, Steve, the samurai. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of Steve, I also do like Steven's weird voting confessional as if he's playing D&D, saying, this is my wizard lightning shooting you back home, kapow. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, God bless Steven. He's playing along with Coach's delusions. He's going right along with it. I'm the wizard, kapow. And he even draws the little lightning bolts on the, on the Yeah, I cast lightning boat. bolt. <laughs> It's a level three spell. You have no throwing throwing save. So yeah, so Brenton is voted out, and it's all going to become dragon slaying from here on out. Yeah, I hope I hope we don't get the uh, comment that there was too much coach this um, this episode, <laughs> so that next podcast episode we shouldn't talk about him as much because it's going to get more and more and more. Yeah, just spoil right now. There's an entire episode dedicated to Coach, and it's coming up soon. Not that soon, though. Surprisingly, he's going to be around for a while. It's the penultimate episode of the season. <laughs> I know. You gotta, if you don't like Coach, you got a long slog. You just mute my voice and just listen to Paul's comments, and I guess that would get you through the podcast. Which would be a weird podcast because it, it would all be about it would be about Nebraska, and I don't know movies. And about the um, and about eight and a half minutes long. So, well, that's the thing though is that I think if people didn't want to come for the coach, at least they'll stay for the weird stories about celebrities banned from Pillings, Montana. <laughs> you know, that was I'm, honestly I'm my favorite part. Paul Popery, you get a little bit of everything with me. <laughs> that story was well above the Ashby line in reference to Ashley Ashby from Survivor Pullout season ten. And we did it, guys. We did two and a half hours on the middle four episodes of Survivor Token Cheens. Wow, I'm proud of us. I'll go back to what I said with Paul before, but I mean, I do feel like Brendan is obviously a big character in this season, and I feel like Joe had his moments as well, but I really do think this final eight is extremely interesting, and I feel like we're we're going to start off at a good point next podcast, because these guys, Coach, Coach and Tyson specifically, are riding very, very high, and it's all going to come crashing down immediately we're gonna have a you know a very one of the most uh, uh delicious blindsides in tyson coming up and then we get to see kind of you know sierra goes then debbie gets her her due we're gonna have that entire coach episode and then we're get to we're gonna get to see all of these wishes of taking jt to the end really come to fruition and it is not as as nice as you might think of taking the good old country boy to the end with you Oh yeah, those that final tribal council is just super nice. Just two buds hanging out, having a beer. It's real sweet. <sighs> yeah, there's a lot. Again, <clears throat> I don't think this is a great season. I only like certain parts of it. But as it goes along, once we get up to this point in the season, it starts to get fun. And I think it starts to get real fun t- kind of towards the end. So again, it's not the worst season. There are far worse seasons. It's 
got some real low moments. And again, anybody who denies that, I just think hasn't watched it in a while. But there's stuff in token scenes that is so big and fun, I think it does make up for it. So we're to the point in the podcast where I'm glad we are finally doing this one. But man, it was yeah. kind of tough getting through those first two episodes. Yeah, part three is going to be great. Yeah, we could really get to get into the JT and Stephen Bromance stuff. That's going to be interesting. And Apologies when part three is bad. <laughs> yes, exactly. Blame Jay. All right. Do you guys have uh, anything else to add? We're actually going to f- come in at under three hours again on this one. That's what token teens will do. Token teens will do to you. Back to basics podcast. Back to basics. <laughs> yes. Let's do this. Yes. <laughs> we talk about three seasons in three episodes in, in three hours. All right. So I think that's it. Unless anybody uh, has anything else to add, I will sign up for us again. If you have any uh, questions, comments, if you want to have any embarrassing stories about things that have been thrown at you in Montana, you can send them to survivorhistorians at gmail.com or reach us all on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We have a group, the Survivor Historians. And uh, I think that's about it. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher. I'm Mike Bloom. I'm Paul Osselson, your genie in a bottle of beer being thrown at you. And Dirk Bean. Bingo, I just finished my Borneo row. Thanks, guys, and I will, we will talk to you later. Bye. Why is everybody after the black team? Your team's a little stacked, I think. We're throwing underhand breaking tiles. None of us have ever done this in our lives. I have. Who is this jackass?